0: exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link, Stained by Blood.
1: And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get (laughs) him.
2: And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this Friday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. we got an awesome show lined up for you tonight. Um, we come to you live each and every weekday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, here on Global Star Radio Network. We're also, uh, you can find us live on video at YouTube at the official Hagman and Hagman Report, as well as Blog Talk, uh, our simulcast station. Uh, we have two websites that we use, one for the show and one for uh, news content and information. The show website is Hagman and Hagman dot uh, com, and the website for news content is HagmanReport dot com. Just want to give a quick shout out to Eric the Tech. I don't have my Eric the Tech fan club shirt on today, but it is his birthday today, and we want to wish him a very happy birthday here at the Hagman and Hagman Report. But tonight we got a fantastic show for you. Um, something a little different than what we've done before. We have Steve Quayle. And Tom and Nita Horn. And this show is titled The Heavenly Account of End Times Revelations. And most of you likely, likely know Tom Horn uh, and Nita, owners of Skywatch TV, researchers and, researchers and prolific writers, publishers of numerous popular books about uh, current prophetic events. But there is another aspect of Tom Horn and Nita Horn, and the majority of people do not know this side and this story. <clears throat> Tom had a life-altering experience that changed everything. Nita, his wife, was there and shared this experience as well. One particular experience birthed Tom and Nita Horn's ministries. We're going to get an inside look at that tonight. We're going to hear the stories from both Tom and Nita, and I'm going to turn it over to Steve Quayle to start, off, start us off tonight. So welcome, Tom, welcome Steve, and welcome Nita. Uh,
3: Nita oh, thank you. that You just got disconnected.
2: All right, we'll get her back up and running here. Okay. Um,
3: well, Joe, Well, while
4: well, we're waiting for her to come back on, and Todd will tell you, I want everybody, I was just speaking to Tom moments ago before we went live, I would like everyone to keep their eyes on my alerts section on stevequayle.com. I've never had so many sources reporting in uh, from all over different parts of the world, different parts of the country, multiple validations, multiple witnesses, and especially as it relates to Deutsche Bank, especially as it relates to a uh, power outages, especially as it relates to messages being sent from the Russians to the U.S. military to either back off or face the consequences. So I will do my best by the grace of God to keep that updated over the uh, weekend. If you can go there and read the last post, one of the most important posts is from uh, my friend Brigadier General Retired Greg and the point being is is that everything is sinking and linking up. Now this isn't critical for uh, you to understand that God directed Tom and Nita Horn through a series of visions and through a series of circumstances that are truly miraculous. And the goal for tonight is to just let you see how God really loves, plans, and intervenes in people's lives who trust him to direct their steps. So I'm excited for tonight. Is Nita on yet?
2: Uh, I'm not sure, Steve. I will send a message to Todd and ask him and I will let you know as soon as uh, we have her back with us.
4: Well, Tom, we have you right now. Okay. Well, until Nita comes on, I just want you to share kind of how you decided to move to Missouri and basically to leave what you were doing for so many years and what you were, you know, basically well-known around the country for doing and how God led you guys to Missouri and what to the ministry of Whispering Ponies Ranches. will have you share that, if you don't mind, then when Nita comes on, I'll, sh- I'll ask her to share her vision and how basically she went out traveling different parts of the country and you guys ended up in Crane, Missouri.
3: Yeah, and thank you, Steve, by the way, for for asking me to do this. The last time you were here at the ranch, uh, you asked, you know, you said, would you guys be willing to come on because Tom Horn and Steve Quayle were always talking about this really heavy-duty kind of stuff. And, um, but most people around the world don't know that much about the personal side, right? The softer side of Sears. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so, yeah, we agreed to do that. This first hour is, hopefully, we'll get Nita back on so she can share, uh, part of her, uh, story too. And then in the second and third hour, maybe we'll get into some other kind of things that happened while we were in the ministry. But, you know, how, we, how did we wind up? in Missouri. Uh, Nita and I, we had been pastors for 25 plus years. We had been executives in the Assemblies of God Oregon District for almost eight years. And uh, I was really at a point where I was kind of burnt out. Um, I'm sure there could be other people out there that were part of the institution for decades like that, like you were too, Steve, who would understand how. The institution, for as good as it is and as good as it can be, and for as many friends as you can have inside of it, there's a side of organized uh, religious institutions that can also just wear you out, eat you alive. I saw statistics a few years ago where they talked about how pastors have the highest rating now of people that are psychologically burned out and depressed, of all people in, in any kind of a professional industry, which is quite an indictment, isn't it, about the kind of pressure and stress that's put on people. So anyway, um, I was I was really just at a point where I could retire, and I decided that I was going to. I had done pretty good in investments during the 80s in real estate, um, and uh, thankfully, you know, still at a time when people celebrated capitalism as opposed to what we're talking about today, but maybe that's for later in the show. Uh, and... But I, So I just decided that I was going to retire. Now, the last project that I was involved with in the Assemblies of God, however, kind of defined how I imagined retiring, in that uh, I was the executive director over what was called Camp and Conference Ministries. Um, Bill Gallagher, who was the superintendent of the state in the uh, 90s, <clears throat> he and in the early 2000, he had seen that um, the Oregon district had already lost several youth camps, and they were getting ready to lose their prized camp, which was called Camp Davidson, as a result of 20 years of deferred maintenance. And he wanted to take it out of the hands of the district. Basically, what he said was, "We don't know what we're doing, and we're getting ready to lose our prized jewel." And so he formed, bottom line, he formed a, a, a policy board that had real teeth, got this approved through the 230 or whatever it was, churches at district council in the Oregon district, and they selected Bill Carmichael, whom you've heard me talk about before. He was a really well-known publisher. In fact, he's the guy that got me started in publishing, to be the chairman because I knew he knew a lot about business. And then Bill got a hold of me because he knew I knew a lot about construction and uh asked if I would be the executive director uh over the reconstruction of Camp Davidson. Well, we can go into some of those details if yeah. you want to, but the bottom line was, while I was at Camp Davidson,
1: um,
3: I was really at a point where, you know, like I remember the day that, um oh, I forget what his name even is, a really well-known kind of big-haired evangelist was there, And I wouldn't even walk across the street to see him or greet him. I just was at that point, right, where I was kind of, I'd seen it all, I'd done it all, I'd been there, blah, blah, blah. But there was something at Camp Davidson that really did get to me. And these were called Royal Family Kids Camps. And they would bring in these kids. Now, for people that are not familiar with this ministry, these are kids that are wards of the state. Uh, They wind up being wards of the state, most often because they have been abused, uh, often violently abused, sexually abused, physically abused. And they get taken away from their parents, and they wind up as wards of the state. Well, the idea behind a royal family kid's camp is that you have one trustee per kid, and you bring them into a camping environment. You get them away from everything else. You get them out in the woods. You get them in the right kind of an environment. Sometimes you're using therapy animals like we're doing at Whispering Ponies Ranch with the therapy horses. Sometimes you don't have the benefit of therapy animals. But the idea is to get these kids to trust again. Uh, And I would watch these kids come into that camp. And the first day they're there, they come in, they're getting off the bus. And I'm telling you what, some of those kids looked as hard as nails. And you knew that if somebody doesn't stand in the gap and help these kids, I mean, these are little Charlie Manson gonna-bes if somebody doesn't help them because they don't trust people anymore. They're filled with hate. They're filled with pain. uh, They're filled with abuse. They're filled with fear. Uh, And these specialized camps would take those kids, and I'm telling you a miracle would occur over that week in that camping situation where by the time they reach the end of the week, you could see these kids opening up again. They were trusting again. Some of them were crying and hugging each other. These kids, they're sharing their addresses with each other. I mean, it was really a miracle. Um, I don't know, uh, Steve, did you ever read the book, and Donna Howell did most of the research on that book, uh, called Redeemed Unredeemable?
4: I don't think I did, Tom.
3: Yeah. Well, it's really a case study in all of these really celebrated known uh, criminals. Um, such as the Manson family, uh, you know, uh, uh, David Berkowitz, the son of Sam Killer, who I wound up interviewing several times during the research for that book. But one of the things that they turned up was that in almost every case, these were people who in their youth were abused and detached socially as a result of their physical and mental abuse and abandonment. And nobody, nobody, at the right time was there to kind of help them overcome that Well, that's what the royal family kids camp does it really is a redemptive process and i anyway it really got to me and so by the time we left camp davidson and i had decided to retire the one thing i was going to do i was going to come to missouri buy a lot of land put up the fences put up the keep out signs because i really know i was in a state of mind where i really didn't want to see or talk to anybody but but we had decided we were going to be the benefactors of royal family type kids camp, and we were going to make it happen at no cost because it's really expensive. In fact, the reason that more royal family kids camps don't occur than what do is because it's very expensive. Uh, I talked with one of the leaders recently here in Missouri that run these type camps. They say it's five hundred dollars per kid. So if you got a hundred kids, they got to come up with fifty thousand dollars plus all these different people to volunteer. So we decided we were going to build the Whispering Ponies Ranch, which would have therapy animals. It would be a full-on 300-acre retreat facility, and we're going to make this available at no cost. That was was the idea, of course, since that time. You know how God is. God says, you came here, you had a plan, pretty good plan, but not merely as good as my plan, (laughs) and it got a lot bigger, right?
4: Absolutely, and you know, I think, Tom, people need to understand that Whispering Ponies, you know, uh, the first time I went out to your house, and by the way, I've got to say that Nita is probably one of the most hospitable people I've ever met in my life, and also, she's got energy that, you know, I mean, would make the Energizer Bunny, you know, keel (laughs) over, I mean, and that's a compliment, that's not in any way, but share about the minute, is Nita on with us yet?
5: Yep, I'm here.
4: Okay. Nita, do you mind if I take... Get to your uh, other half right now, Tom, and you've laid it out wonderfully. You need to yes. share about the miniature horses and how that came to be because it blew me away. You know, I mean, I, I think when I go to your house, I like to go down and see the ponies and and uh, miniature ponies, and I was really ignorant. Okay, will you share this because it's very cool? Of somebody like me that lives at Ground Zero and uh, and a, a mushroom cloud expectation to see these ponies and the calming effects. So just share your heart me because the floor is yours right now the microphone and you speak up and just share with people because it touched my heart and later in the first hour we'll share how people can get advanced uh you know in uh, uh, involved in these ponies and in the ministry that god has called you and tom to go ahead
5: well i i it all started when i bought a, a handful of larger horses and um I ended up getting hurt, not on one of the horses I owned. I went to look at a different horse, and the gal who had this horse for sale said, Oh, it's the most amazing animal, so soft and gentle. And I took her word for it, which was my first mistake. I climbed up on it, and it was a rodeo ride of my life, and I landed smack on my back and was laid up for several months. In the meantime, I had some time to think about why I have horses, what is my purpose in life, what is... um why am I so young and yet still so old? And um, long story short, in the meantime, we had bought one little miniature horse for our grandkids, which is the story that we hear a lot. And this little horse actually had stolen our hearts and was so sweet and so gentle. um, We decided that it would be better for us, safer for us, my grandkids and everyone, to go with the smaller size horses. In the meantime, we found out that they pull carts. They do all kinds of fun little things like that. And uh, smaller children can ride them. Um, but anyway, so I went out to um, look at one of these little animals, and a friend of mine named Jenny had a little horse named Ellie for sale. And um, it was the night that I met her. We drove out to her house. She had listed this little pony on Craigslist. Actually, miniature horses. So if you hear me say ponies, just know that I'm talking about miniature horses.
4: Will you you share with people, too? Hey, Nita, will you share what the definition of a miniature is? Because, you know, I think of ponies, and that's one size. But when you're talking miniature, for instance, you have the second smallest miniature horse, I think, in the world. But share the definition of miniature, and then share what your smallest horse is so people can get a feel. Uh for when we're talking miniature, we're talking miniature.
5: Right. Well, if you have a horse, and these are actually horses, they are not ponies. They are bred down in size. Anything that is 38 inches or less is considered a miniature horse um, among the registrations. And um, anything above that, even if they have been registered, they lose their papers because you have to stay under 38 inches. So every horse I have is smaller than uh, 38 inches. I think the tallest I got is like 37, and she's one of my nicest little mares. Um, but the smallest little uh, horse that we have, she her name is Chigger, and she is a little girl. Most people will think she's a boy because her name is Chigger, but she's adorable, she's full of energy, she's uh, she's she's eighteen and a half inches tall and weighs about thirty nine pounds. Um she's four years old, so she's fully grown, and she also came from two registered uh, parents. Her dad and her mom were both uh, registered. Um, however, she cannot be registered simply because she is dwarfy, and um, but she has the greatest spirit of all. I mean, she's not afraid of nothing. She's 18 inches tall, but fearless of anything. And um, she's 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 one of our therapy animals. She has her own little vest that she wears. Um, Jenny and I actually are sharing her right now because she's really really connected to Jenny's little uh, horse. She sh- uh, does therapy with, and her name is is Go Baby Go. We call her Baby. Anyway, so that's kind of the definition of what a miniature horse is. Um there are people who use larger horses for therapy and and there is really no size that states you can ha- that a horse can or cannot be a therapy animal. Most people are getting into the smaller miniatures because they're easier to get in the back of your car. They can um jump in the back of a pickup, you know. I've I've done that myself. Trigger has ridden in the back of my pickup before. And so it's easier to get them from point A to point B, whereas uh, larger horses, you've got to put them in a trailer and drag them around. And then when you get into the rooms to the smaller facilities, it's hard to get these horses in and out. However, the effect of these horses are all, all amazing. There's no size that qualifies. Um, it's mostly the training and the disposition of the animal. So and that kind of gives you a brief, brief overview of what, what miniatures are versus big horses, and, and pony, share I is, the I don't know word what their cut off is. I think it's thirteen hands. From thirty eight to thir- uh, thirteen hands, I think is pony. Anything bigger than that is considered a horse. That's that's about all I know about that.
4: And and some people are unaware, like I was, and, I, and you know I'm sure a lot of our listeners are. Would you share how the therapy part comes in? Because you know I don't think people understand uh, the Tom just shared briefly before we were trying to when you got cut off or whatever, just the change that you saw in some of these roughest kids' lives. But a therapy horse has a, has a, a beautiful, calming effect, even with people with PTSD, etc. And that's what blew my mind, because again, I have to profess and confess ignorance, share kind of what the, what the thoughts are behind the therapy horses, and how that carries in to you and Tom's uh, vision to not only help these kids, but obviously to make a, a a major life-changing course direction in their lives. So do you understand the question? I'm trying to be really concise and linear like your
1: husband.
5: Well, um, these these little animals, how how they're used in therapy is we take them um, to different facilities, and it pretty much is unlimited. Wherever people would love us to come, we bring these animals. We just got off at the Branson Landing, Just yesterday, uh, Jenny and I took a couple of Ardal animals down there, Ardal horses. And, um, one of the people on the landing asked me, so when does this therapy start? And I looked at them and I smiled and I said, it's happening right now. And I said, look around at the faces of these people as they're petting on these ponies. And there were, there were all kinds of people. And there, and, and so, like I say, there's no limit to, uh, to the people that these little horses can help. So when you say therapy animal, therapy happens when you touch them. that person who is communicating and, and connecting with that animal, it's their therapeutic right then. And um, we had uh, a veteran down on the landing yesterday, walked up, and, and he was so enamored uh, by the little one I had uh, because she was all white with little pink bows and what have you. And he was just standing there telling me how he was a veteran of war and that he had been just recently diagnosed as having that PTSD and um, um, they, the doctor had recommended that he get a companion animal. And so I gave him my card, and I said, you get a hold of me if you think this is something that would work for you. And he started immediately going through his mind about, does he have space for it? So I don't, you know, I would not be surprised to hear from him. But um, I'm hoping that I'm answering, answering your questions. I do, I do tend to kind of pig trail a little bit, so I will just warn you on that right now.
3: Well, poor little, no, no, no,
5: she yep. was around
3: me too long. She heard me preach too many years and get off on pig trails and run here, run there and so <laughs> I kinda well, run her
5: butt. Like within the last hour and a half I have had three things just smack me in the face and just dis- and try to distract right. me. So I've really been trying to just keep my mind focused. But any in any case, um if if I can um try to answer the question and if I get off on a little pig trail, pull me back on. So
4: Well, not an issue. Now, here's the thing, I think, Tom, too, and you may want to address this, and and Anita, you know, the... The idea of bringing in the children—that's what you guys are doing with the Whispering Pony Ranch—and not just necessarily children, but, I, I've, I've, ladies and gentlemen, I get to spend time with the Horns at their house, and uh, they're very gracious. But I'll tell you what: when you find out that that Tom and Nita have a full-blown calling to make a difference in lives, and you know, you've always heard of Adopt a Hungry Child, and and that—and that, I'm not knocking that—that's good. But I said, Tom, let's do this, let's go on and share the vision the first hour, because I said, you know what, I I think that, I think, what do you have, 30 horses right now, Nita? Yeah, give or take. Give or take. And I said, let's get people excited about this, to sponsor a horse for a child or a vet, and what's kind of cool about that, up on, uh, what's the website, let's give it out now so people can go and see the little ponies as we're talking.
3: SkyWatchTV.com, it's, it's, ahead, and they, if they look at the top of SkyWatchTV.com, they'll see a, uh, a link up there that says Sponsor a Pony, and then they can go and look at a lot of the horses.
4: Okay, well, here's what here's what I want to share with everybody, Tom, and and you Nita. Know, you're free to you know I gravitated to the to Cowboy, who has probably one of the coolest manes and uh, that and you know I I'd like all the horses, especially the little guy. But the thing is, is that you know it really spoke to my heart. A lot of people are in no physical location to make a difference, but Tom and Nita, my email uh, fills up sometimes with people saying, you know, I really want to make a difference, and some. people people say are are bluntly honest, you know, I've lived selfishly, I'm quoting them, and now God has blessed me, and I, I kind of want to give back, so what I've asked Tom to do, and by the way, this was something I really felt strongly impressed to do, is to make the, it available for people to uh, sponsor specific horses, that's why I asked Nita to put up... Uh, pictures of each specific horse and their vision which you'll hear in the second and third hour when Tom and I pretty much go solo and give Nita a break I mean she's the busiest woman I know I mean literally you basically see her in the morning and you see her late at night and she's out with the ponies and on the phone and everything else and the demands are overwhelming but here's what I'm trying to say I want everyone just to really take a look at this especially those of you that are kind of out of it because I, Tom and I talk about heavy stuff. And obviously, Nita's out with the horses when we're, you know, sitting around the table and discussing parallel revelations or where we're going next. But the point is, is that the kids that Tom and Nita had a miraculous uh, effect on, now from California, and Tom is out of the red tape, that's a good uh, statement, and able to carry out the vision that God has given to him. And there's a lot of horse people, Tom and Nita, that listen to us. So, Nita, share how God direct you to Missouri because I guess you know, as as you've shared and I've listened, the idea was that you were looking for this ranch or a ranch and you spent quite a bit of time. Share that and share your, your, the vision, the supernatural direction you guys have had just in this whole process.
5: Well, I can tell you, Steve, you know, I, I can tell you the long version of it and where I spent, you know, a week on the road and over, you know, couple of thousand miles on a rental car, 40 hundred farm homes we looked at. But I will tell you, to sum it up, it was the second or third to the last house I looked at on the very last day that I had time to look. And the lady says, well, I did pull up one house. I don't know if you want to look at it. It's a little further out. And I said, sure, why not? At this point, I'm like, why not? So we took a drive out and ended up in this little town where we're at, and when we pulled into the parking lot, and every time I tell this story, I choke up because I know this is where we're supposed to be. And, you know, there's nothing greater than knowing where you're supposed to be. I didn't know what we were going to do yet. I just knew this was the place. So I come into the to the old farmhouse. It was over, It was a 100-year-old farmhouse, and I fell in love with it. And one thing I had always wanted to do was live in an old, authentic farmhouse, not one of these modern replicas, I wanted something that had history, something that could speak to me, that could tell me stories that would cause my imagination to come back to life after so many years of being in ministry I needed revived. So I came to this old house, and this this house just said, Welcome, you're home. Okay, and I loved the home. And, and I was trying to talk myself like to a normal place. Oh, wow, this is really cool. But the further I looked and the more I saw, the more I just, my heart melted and I couldn't. I started doing that noise my husband teases me about where I go, wee, wee, wee. But anyway, we went into, then she says, would you like to see the little town? And I said, well, sure. And when I was driving through the streets of the town, again, I felt that warm welcome. And I'll tell you what, I've moved so much in all of my life, many, many, many moves. And, um, but when I drove through this little town, it was almost like I felt this, I can't even explain it. I just knew that this was home, and so I went back to the to the house and um, looked around again. And then we left. And, and And honestly, if I had to nutshell the story, I believe God wanted us to come to this place. And of course, I I really believe also that it has been confirmed over and over and over that this was the place to be. And I have looked at I had at that time been looking at property. I looked at property down in Atlanta, Georgia. I looked at property in Seattle, Washington. I checked out property in California and in New Mexico. I looked at all of these properties in Arizona. I mean, everywhere. But when I came to um, Springfield to, to kind of check it out to see what it was like, because I had visited Springfield a time or two. Um, but anyway, like I said, I had a week to, to just kind of look around and see what was going on, and, and I ended up here. And so that kind of Um How we got to cranes. So and then we came out here, bought a little farm, a few acres, and we were going to have horses and eat crackers and watch the sunset. That Uh, was our plan.
3: With the fence up and the dogs loose. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Don't forget. Don't forget the fence and the attack dogs. (laughs) That's your plan.
1: (laughs) <laughs>
3: yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, uh, Tom has learned, as most of we who are husbands have learned, we have our plans, and then and then we also <laughs> know what a, a wife's directive is. But no, I'm just kidding, you guys. The thing that's interesting, again, everyone, is that you hear Tom and I and Tom alone and Tom all over and me all over, but the point is, is that this is something I want to get involved with and will get involved with, uh, and... What I like about it, Tom and Nita, is the fact that people need uh, an outward. I I, I really believe this, that at the end of the day, or the end of one's life, you're going to look back, we're all going to look back, and we're going to say, Lord... What did I really do? Look, I'm 65, and I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to retire and become a grumpy old man. I just want to be a uh, on the edge, you know, cutting edge of what you're doing. But with Tom, the the the, the, the horses, these little horses, they're just amazing. And well, again, I'm and, the and, last and, guy. I'm the last guy to talk about horses. Go ahead, Tom.
3: Yeah, and and so let me jump in there and just and just say. um, You know what Nita was talking about? Her and Jenny yesterday were down in Branson. They were on the landing. Now, they're doing that, by the way. There's a system to this. Why were they down there? Well, we breed, and then you have to qualify horses. You qualify their gait, and then there's a process you go through where you desensitize these horses to every kind of possible scenario. If somebody is going to inherit one of these horses, I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment, and they're going to use it in their community where now they're taking it to the veterans, hospital or they're taking it to a care facility or something else, and somebody comes walking up in a wheelchair, that can be really scary to a pony that hasn't been desensitized. For a minute. Right. So you go through all this process of desensitizing and qualifying which ones are going to be the best animals, and that's what Jenny and Nita were doing down at the Branson Landing. They take them down there, they literally take them into the, the you know Bass Pro, and, and the people by the way down there love them, because they come in and they're... They're desensitizing these horses. They've done everything they can do in the giant arena that we've built. Now they've got to get them out in the public. And I don't care if it is a parade where kids are throwing firecrackers. They're basically getting these horses to the point where, and it's a, it's a wonderful narrative, the horse believes that if it is with its handler, no matter what, it's okay. It's, and, and you can compare that to what we learned from the Lord. Though so I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. If the Lord's with me, I know I'm going to be okay. That's what these horses actually learn, that if they're with their handler, no matter what it is, some big scary-looking image, some loud noise, a bunch of kids, whatever, and these ponies, these miniatures, they literally get to the point where nothing phases them. Well, once they are that qualified, they then enter into the second phase, and that's when they actually become the therapy horse that starts getting used, uh, like on our property here, when we run the Royal Family Kids Camp and these kids are brought in, the horses then are used to help these children. And, and, and that's where you see the miracle unfold, a child that has learned not to trust people. That child has been abused, it's been hurt, and by the way, some of the people listening to this program, adults, have also been through these experiences where they were hurt, They were abused, maybe sexually, maybe physically, verbally, whatever, and they learned not to trust people. Well, then what happens is the child, when you introduce that therapy pony, the child knows instinctively. This is a God thing. They know instinctively that if that little pony is giving them pony kisses, it's not doing that because it has an agenda. It's not saying, I love you because I'm going to trick you and rape you. They they know it instinctively. So the horse becomes this wonderful creation from God that allows God to reach that child again because they trust the animal. They know that this love, this affection, this warmth, whatever this is that they're getting through this majestic creation of God is real. It doesn't have a hidden agenda. It has no intentions on hurting them It's not using them. It's not lying to them. And that becomes a gateway through which then these special, uh, you know, uh, uh, handlers, the people that are trained in this ministry, could start bringing that child back over to trust again. And, And that's what I saw. That was the miracle that I witnessed at Camp Davidson, camp after camp at these Royal Family Kids camps. And I said, when I retire... I'm going to buy land, I'm going to build a camp and conference facility, and it's going to be exclusively for the purposes of Royal Family Kids Camp. Now, since then, the Lord has shown me that while that's the heartbeat of the campground, we also can do other things, other types of retreats and so on. So here's what people really need to know. If if you're talking about um, Whispering Ponies Ranch, and if a person wants to partner with us to make this happen, there are three things here that actually happen. One, we are we, all of our horses, by the way, the studs and the, the mares, are all from Champion Bloodstock. We're doing that on purpose because we want to create horses that have value and that would not be easily discarded by the people that inherit them. So we have our own horses here, and we are breeding and training them. We intend to use them on the property here for Royal Family Kids Camp. We need one building, by the way. We need to build one building, which is the office complex and the greeting center. Uh, and when that building is built, we will start operations on this property. Uh, I've already been in contact with the people that run the Royal Family Kids Camps in, in the state of Missouri. They're already planning to come in to meet with us. We've got one building we've got to build. And we would hope if people will, will sponsor a pony, they're going to help us build that building so operations can start on the property. The second thing that we're going to do, and this is something that's very exciting, Jenny Keese, who Nita mentioned a moment ago, she is one of the best horse trainers in this nation and her qualifications specifically are toward therapy, not just miniature horses, large horses, working with autistic children. She is a miracle worker. I mean, she can make horses do stuff that she just baffled. I mean, she can point at her horse, and it will run around her in circles, point the other way, bow in front of you. I mean, she's a, she, she just does crazy stuff with horses, right? But she is working for us now full-time. She just came to work for Whispering Ponies Ranch, uh, and that's why her and Nita were qualifying some of these horses yesterday. Um, but she is going to work on the with, uh, with Nita at the ranch uh, for the camping operations that will happen here. But her history is that Jenny has been doing this for so long. She works with the Veterans Association. She's got all kinds of media. She's written up in magazines and stuff everywhere all of the time. And, and we say this tongue-in-cheek, but we mean it. At Whispering Ponies Ranch, we want to create a thousand Jennies. Now, what do we mean by that? We mean that all across the United States, there are people who would be doing this if they could, but a, a qualified therapy, registered, and from championship stock like we have, Therapy Pony is worth a lot of money. They, these can cost five to ten thousand dollars, and a lot of people cannot afford to buy one. Uh, at, but if they had one, they'd be using it in their community like Jenny did uh, before in her community where they go to veterans, they go to the care facilities, whatever. And she's got a long history and wonderful stories of doing that. So what we want to do is we want to not only breed and keep for ourselves horses that we use here on the property with Royal Family Kids Camps. we want to begin gifting qualified, trained, fully trained therapy horses at no cost. To people across the nation who then would take that horse or horses and also use them in in their ministry in their community. So, by the way, Anita can say more about this. In two weeks from right now, between 50 to 100 of the top horse training, therapy horse uh, ranches in the United States are all coming together for a confab here at the Whispering Ponies Ranch to begin coordinating with one another in order to try to make this both a national ministry as well as a local ministry at the Whispering Ponies uh, Ranch. And so we're, we're already doing this, uh, And the but the on-site camping part of this will begin as soon as we can build the office complex, and if people will help us by sponsoring a pony, monies will go towards uh, the building of that. Structure, which is the last building we have to build. When Nita and I came here, I had done well enough in uh, uh, real estate investment that we were going to retire. But we took all of our retirement, and we bought land. Steve, you know how much land we've been buying. You've seen the buildings that we're building. Uh, we bought a we bought a, a, a warehouse uh, in town that we're using for the Skywatch Television. Uh, Studio as well as Defender Publishing, and everybody who's heard me talk knows the reason I have the TV program, the reason I have the publishing house, is I want to take the money out of anything we do that creates profit and put it into this facility so that these kids can come here at no cost. When I talked to the Baptist pastor, who's the head of the Interdenominational Ministries in Missouri the other day, and said, how many camps are you running per year? He said, we can only run five, because it costs us five hundred dollars per kid to rent the Assemblies of God camp, and then we have to rely on everybody else. So five times five, right? They're they're trying to come up with a quarter of a million dollars per year. And when I said to him, well, Whispering Ponies Ranch is going to provide even a better uh, a piece of uh, a better campground for you, uh, and it's going to be no cost. It's not going to cost you a dime. And this is full services. This is fully qualified staff. We did this before, by the way, when we built Camp Davidson. This is food services. This is accommodations. This is uh, people to operate uh, ground courses, high courses, zip lines, swimming pools, accommodations, uh, lodging. We're not going to charge you a penny because we're going to make Skywatch Television and Defender Publishing generate the revenue that would pay for those camps. So the only thing we need now, we need to build one building. We've got everything else built. Nita and I spent all of our savings, and then we essentially ran out of money. We've got to build one more building, and that's the office complex and the greeting center. And once we've done that, and by faith, by the way, Steve, I'm going to start on that this month anyway. I've already told the excavators I want them here. I want the land clear. I'm just believing that God is going to give us people that will understand this vision or that will call us if they have questions so that they can learn more about what we're doing. And we are going to build this, and we are going to start this fall.
4: Very, very cool. Nita, as, as again, you're, you're out and about, and you're watching the response to therapy animals, based on what you guys did in Oregon, and obviously that was under a different situation because there was always boards, and Tom, I want to just commend you, Anita, you guys are are two uh, amazing people, and I'm not flattering you, but that really, really do obey the leading of the Lord, and I want to share something else, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm, I'm blessed to go on Skywatch TV periodically with Tom, or we're on this, I can share this with you, I've never seen a cooler functioning business of a family, when I say the family, I'm talking the family of God, of people that absolutely love Love what they're doing and touching people's hearts. And Tom, I don't think people recognize the emails and the uh, uh, feedback that we get from people who are giving their heart to Jesus all over the world. Some of our biggest fans, ladies and gentlemen, are in Australia, New Zealand, and even China. I mean, these are people that are saying thank you. And, and by the way, there are some of you out there that have been ranchers and, and been farmers. And again, the adopt a pony is the plan. Is this is that you? You know that whoever comes in to the ministry of Whispering Ponies Ranch and is on that, that's because of you. You know, and I, I think of the scripture: "Despise not the day of small beginnings." And mm-hmm. King David, Tom and Anita, made a statement that's kind of impressed me from the time I first read it and heard it preached. As David said, "I will not offer unto the Lord anything that doesn't cost me something." And mm-hmm. you know, it takes time, and that's a beautiful promise. And I, that, that's probably one of the more Important promises that I I, I stake my uh, walk with the Lord Jesus on. But, ladies and gentlemen, seriously, this is something that is so amazing because the fingerprints, the handprints, the palm prints, and the heart rhythm of the living God. You know, again, what I think is interesting, Tom and Anita, and I'm going to turn right back over to you, Anita, is that the child, uh, the war on kids is on in such a way that nobody 20 years ago probably would have imagined. That you'd have to be protecting your son or your daughter or your children from pedophiles and perverts in public restrooms and even in churches if they want to maintain their 50-you know, whatever their tax-free uh, status is. So, saying that, I think it's interesting, you know, the scripture that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. So, I'm asking you, and by the way, there are people out there that have been really, really uh, blessed and different ways, and again, there are people that are ranchers, CC in Texas High, and others that you guys know the blessing of raising horses, but here's the blessing of getting involved and reaching out, and that's the other thing. So, Nita, I just want to thank you, because I never thought that a little horse could jump into my heart so fast. Go ahead.
5: (laughs) He is an adorable little fella, and he's such a sweetheart. He really is. We're talking about cowboy, because I know that's your favorite one. And, and what's really fun about these other critters is that they all have uh, you visit my farm, everybody's going to pick their favorite one and um, that's that in itself is so amazing that these, uh, how that they can do that jump into people's heart that way um, what I will say is that I personally have experienced um, the therapeutic value because when we came here um, I had ended up buying this little horse named Tink and um, she is i got to tell you, the most amazing thing, speaking of Jenny, I've had Tink for maybe seven years now, and um, she was a little horse that was uh, totally abused when I got her. I didn't know it until after we brought her home. That's how much I knew back then. And that in itself, Steve, is a very long story. But, but getting to know Tink, um, it has taken seven years. But today, today, and I'm so proud to tell you that chapters on chapters on chapters of Just Tink Alone... I haltered her without having to chase her down. She let me walk right up to her and put a halter on her. I didn't even get to tell you that, um, honey. I didn't get to tell you that. But today I walked out and, and I did that, but this, was, this is just years and years and years of her learning that on this place there's, there's love. So what, what we're doing, she's taught me that, that, that loving and trusting, once you break that bond of trust, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes years to rebuild all of that these royal family kid camps that's just the beginning of many many more years of of building upon that rebuilding of trust and so these little critters are a doorway on so many levels and um but anyway getting to know Tink, she helped me realize that there were some broken pieces in my uh, in my puzzle that i had to rebuild and um it has taken me time but her and i together we've we've come a long way and um but these little critters, they do jump into your heart, and um, every single one of them pretty much have a story to tell. Uh, of course, I don't have time to tell all of those stories. No. I tend to get get, get off on the, the horses themselves because that's what I do mostly. Tom does a wonderful job talking about the vision, um, and, and we talk about the vision too, but when it comes to putting it into words, he does it so wonderfully. Um, so...
4: Well, listen, thank you for coming on, because I, you know, again, I don't think people realize what it takes, and Tom, you'll say amen for for, you know, your family to back you up in what you're doing, and obviously not only to do that, but to share the vision. And what's interesting, ladies and gentlemen, from Tom's entire family, I mean, his biological family, everybody was like trained out in the uh, the world's uh, uh, Assembly of God, you one of the most productive camps, Tom shared that, and how now everybody fits and flows. I told Tom, I said, I'd hire, you know, everybody away from you if it didn't love
3: you so much, and he wouldn't leave. Yeah, and the the other part about this is is everybody that built Camp Davidson, and I mean from the people that built the high-rope courses, low courses, wrote the curriculum, developed food services, took it all the way to ACA, American Camping Association Accreditation, which is the Cadillac of Camping Facilities wrote the grant applications, raised money. Every single person who turned that camping facility around. So imagine this. Here was a place that for 20 years was going into the hole. I almost said toilet. Bad word, right? Going into the hole for 20 years. Um, Within 24 months, we had turned that camping facility around to the point that we had quadrupled the operating revenue. We were raising hundreds of thousands of dollars from some of the largest charitable trusts in the world. The Murdoch Foundation, the Ford Family Foundation, Dan Wyden with the Nike account. Everybody was buying into that. Well, here's, but, but why am I bringing that up? Because every one of the people that brought that thing to perfection work for me now here in Missouri. And all of them are also poised to help us now take the Whispering Ponies Ranch into the future in terms of everything, food services, lodging, low course, high course, outdoor schools, whatever we want to do. I mean, we can literally turn this in to the number one camping facility in the state of Missouri, if that's, if that's what our goal was. But what we really want to do is just therapeutic ministries. And by the way, one other thing I should add before we go to break um, we oh, I mentioned a moment ago that we also want to build a thousand Jennies, but we've already started d- doing that. The process of gifting qualified, trained, and valuable therapy horses that we are giving away as nothing, uh, uh, for nothing, for no va- for no uh, cost. We've already started doing that. We've got uh, a w- uh, PR Whispering Ponies Ranch trained mini horse that's now being used in public schools in Missouri for children that have reading issues it's an amazing thing that children some children have some kind of a mental block and they have a hard time reading uh and uh, uh and especially if they're supposed to read in front of other children in school it's it's a strange thing they found years ago though that if you take a therapy horse and have the child read to the horse something in their brain chemistry changes and now they can do it. And it helps these uh, reading-challenged children learn how to read and also get their confidence to stand in front of people and speak. So we've already gifted a horse to a woman who is a public school teacher, and we, they're using this in the public the horse school system. Jenny,
5: just to huh? clarify. We gifted a couple of horses to Jenny, and she helped us to place them.
3: Okay, but Jenny works for us full-time. We did this through Jenny.
5: We've also, a however... While back.
3: Just, uh, and this is going to happen this month. We've also gifted a horse to a woman right now who's deployed in Afghanistan. She's, a, she's, a, she's in uh, service. She's coming back as a veteran, and she's going to be using that horse, that one specifically trained, to be able to be used with PTSD veterans, and she will be taking it into veteran associations where she'll help these veterans to overcome some of the same kind of PTSD Issues that they have. So, so what are we doing? We 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 have we're using therapy animals. That's not all that we're doing, but that's the kind of the core of what we're doing to help rural family kids camps here on site. But we're also raising and training at our at our own expense with paid salaried personnel, horses that are championship stock that could sell for ten thousand dollars, but we're not selling them. We're raising them, we're training them, and then we're qualifying who we can gift those to. And now we've just now started that part of it, but that's part of the vision. And in 2017, we're forming a brand-new association. That's why we're having a confab of between 50 to 100 uh, therapy ranches that are all coming to Whispering Ponies Ranch in two weeks from right now because through uh, collaborating with these other ranches, we'll be able to qualify who the people are that uh, make an application to receive a therapy animal that they then can take to their community and use in the same way that Jeannie Keith has in which she has built her testimony uh, over the years. So it's, it's essentially it's Jesus saying, I'll have 12 disciples, I'll invest myself in them, I will send them out, and that ministry will be multiplied through the disciples. That's what Essentially that's what we're doing here, but we're doing it with horses. The one part that people though tend to really latch on to, they they can kind of get the theory around gifting therapy animals to other people that will use them in other communities. They kind of get that, but what they really latch on to is the royal family kids camp and the campground facilities here. And when we come back from the break, uh, I want to talk about uh, uh, you know other things, but I want to kind of let people know how they can help us with this building we need to build and then how that's going to automatically make them a part of what we're calling the Founders Club and what that would mean for them.
4: Perfect. Nita, you've got about uh, two minutes. Share, or you don't need two minutes. Just share, and thank you for coming on. I know you've got ponies to feed and stuff to do, but, uh, you know, share just in the last, you know, two minutes before a break or one minute, whatever you'd like. Just, again, uh, what's going on with you, Nita Horn, at this moment? You're seeing the fulfillment of a promise God made to you and your heart's desire, are you not?
5: Well, the most amazing thing is I I get to be a part of it. You know, it's not something I have to do. I get to be a part of it. And in, and most recently, I do see all of this unfolding. And when we talk about building this ranch and, and what it took to do that, there were many times I was out in the winter feeding. And i got to tell you, to know that, that things are changing, and God is bringing help, and God is bringing facilities, and God is putting it's unfolding before my very eyes I, I'm, I'm totally amazed I get to get up every day and say okay God now what what do we get to do today what, what are we going to do today and like yesterday we ended up on the landing and, 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 and I'm going to go again next week I, I mean I, I, I literally from day to day don't know but it's it's, it's it's beyond just a lot of heavy work now I get to reap some of the fruits of the labor and that's just I, I can't believe this is where we're at um, amen I just want to also say something. Um, back at, uh, when we were at Camp we're, Davidson, one of the things. Nita, we're up against
2: the break right now. If you get hold, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on this Friday edition with Steve, Tom, and Nita Horn. We'll be right back.
5: the Global Star
3: Radio, Napalm.
0: exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again, as Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood.
6: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Doug Hagman, as well as Joe Hagman here together. We want to wish Eric the Tech a happy birthday today. God bless you. And, uh, yeah, well, you really. A, well, I know, I know. Um, what a great first hour with Steve Quayle, Tom, and Nita Horn. I mean, my goodness, uh, folks. By the way, just very quickly, and, I'm, and we're going to give it right back to, to Tom Horn here very quickly. If you go to HagmanandHagman.com, right there on the uh, top right next to the uh, video player, of course, and the links to audio, video links to our show. Don't forget about the the um, the book order. The biggest SkyWatch TV giveaway. Um, go ahead. Did you? No, oh, when okay. you're done. Okay. All right. Um, I just wanted to make sure people were aware of that. Uh, and also, uh, yeah, the the biggest, and I'll tell you something. We took advantage of that that giveaway. So while supplies last, you know, um, and, and of course that was from last week. And uh, of course, uh, uh, Tom had uh, was right before the break. He was talking about a number of things. Going to give him a chance to finish that up. You um, finish up his thoughts, and we're going to get into something. This is an entirely different program, folks, than than, than yeah. you've heard before.
2: And uh, I'll give it back to you in just a second. want to just uh, give a quick uh, announcement. Last night we unveiled a new sponsor and a new product, Minuteman Rocket Stoves. Yes. Folks, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. And check out the new Minuteman Stoves that we uh, uh, hooked up with Lane Miller, the owner, and, uh, it is a brand new product. It's a very portable, uh, easy to go stove with fire starters that, uh, it's, it's really bread. handy it's yeah. awesome minutemanstove.com so all Our show of tonight uh, is
6: all brought to you by minuteman absolutely and thank you for saying that and all of the uh um uh long-term cerebral food folks that you have can be cooked with this particular stove it's uh it's it's a uh, high quality stuff uh, tom just thank you so much it was just a fantastic first hour go ahead and uh, pick up with your thoughts where you left off and uh, and of course we're going to get into some new ground as well but go ahead
3: yeah, I mean, just to finish what, and thank you, by the way, Doug and Joe and Steve for having me on the Hagman Report. You're, you, as you know, I've got to the point where I'm not doing anybody's programs anymore, but your program, anytime, anywhere, brother. You guys are the bomb. Love you guys. Want people to support you. Um, and uh, you now you meant I I didn't know you were going to do that, but you mentioned that the biggest giveaway, uh, and that has to do with that final book between me and Chris Putnam. It has broke all records. Um, And uh, if people want – now, the Hagman show, by the way, had a special that nobody else has. So it's the biggest giveaway of the year. But on your last program, I said, because you're a Hagman listener, if when you buy that gigantic giveaway over there, $19, and you're getting hundreds of dollars worth of stuff for free, if you type into the comment section when you check out, I heard you on Hagman, you're going to get the first three books by me and Chris Putnam, which is another, whatever that is, you know, $50 worth of books. Um, so I'd want to remind people of that. Just, if you do go from Hagman uh, to the store and buy The Final Roman Emperor for 19 bucks, and you get the big gigantic giveaway, and that giveaway is almost over. Uh, it's going to end tomorrow, the next day, it's almost done. It's been a record-breaking sale. Type into the comment section, I heard Joan Hagman they're going to give you the other three books too, so anyway, um, but hey man, thank you guys for having me on your program for having Nita on your program. I tell people all the time, uh Steve, you know this, you've been at my ranch several times. you know Nita very well, uh and uh, I tell people all the time that Nita and Jesus saved me. What do I mean by that? Well, Nita. She brought me to Jesus, then Jesus saved me. But without the two working in combo, brother, I was, I was a real rascal. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I just wanted to finish one thing Nita was saying before the break. She wanted to say something about what we call MAPS, volunteer, M-A-P-S, volunteers. Those are the people that they, they, they come to the conference grounds, they park their RVs, and we are building them an RV park right now with full hookups. Everything, power, electric, sewer, everything, for them to park their big RVs, so that they can come and work with us. And then what they do is they'll they'll do everything from repairing your fence lines to working with your program, whatever. I mean, they're, it's amazing. They're they're mostly all retired specialists, builders, contractors, whatever, and that's their ministry. The Maps ministry is fabulous, um, and we've almost got their RV park um, finished and ready for them and then we will go to the maps convention we'll give them the whispering ponies ranch uh, vision and we used them all the time at camp davidson and it was amazing so then the final other thing i'll say and then we'll get past this um why are we talking about this um steve Quayle, when when he was here at the ranch recently and he met Cowboy and a bunch of the other therapy horses. He loved Cowboy because cow- Cowboy is, what is he, Steve? He's kind of like Fabio, right? <laughs> was,
4: yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you instantly, uh, you know, you connect with the animal. And plus, you know, he reminds me of a cute little, you know, uh, I mean, he just, I just, I can't explain it, but he's got the best mane. He's got a wild mane. I guess I connected with him because he reminded me of my era in the old days.
3: Yeah. Well, he's a direct son of the most famous bloodline in the miniature horses in the world. I mean, if you go into, you know, like horse places, uh, stores where they sell the little, I forget what they even call them, but the little plastic horses that are famous, he's from those bloodlines. And he looks it. I mean, he is Fabio. Uh, He's one of our three main studs. If you go to SkyWatchTV.com and you look at the, the link on the top or there at the Hagman uh, uh, report website, if you click on that link, when you go there, he's going to be the first horse you see, his cowboy, and you can click on him and read about him and find out why uh, Steve Quill liked him so much. But the bottom line is we're only using uh, registered famous bloodlines. Why? Because as we gift these horses to people across the nation that are using them in ministry, we want them to have value. We don't ever want these horses to be Craig's listed or anything like that just because we gave them away. We want them to know this horse, you would be paying $10,000 for it if we weren't gifting it to you. So, And that's we talked about all that in the first hour. Now, so I want to say one final thing. Steve invited me on to talk about what we're doing at Whispering Ponies Ranch, the Royal Family Kids Camp, how these horses are used in therapy here at the conference facility as well as other places. And here's what I want to say to people that are listening to this program. If you sponsor one or more of these therapy ponies, there's a link right there at Hagman. There's another one at skywatchtv.com. If you do that, you are directly partnering with us in what I consider to be the most important ministry. This is why when I went to retire... I came here to build this campground to minister to these children who are the most forgotten people on the planet. I don't want to be critical, but there's a reason why a lot of big-haired evangelists don't talk about Royal Family Kids Camp. Why? Because it's not going to make you famous, it's not going to put your name in the headlights. These are children who have been abused, they've become a ward of the state, and they are forgotten. And the, the Royal Family Kids camps touched me so much when I was at Camp Davidson because I realized that if it were not for this ministry, these are kids who would be entirely forgotten. Nobody would care. The big ministries, take T V and otherwise, and I'm on I'm on you know, network television too. Um, they wouldn't pay any attention to these kids at all. But here's what I know. When Jesus comes back, here's what he said. He's going to divide the sheep from the goats. And how does he divide the sheep from the goats? He says, <clears throat> I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was sick and in prison, and you visited me. And he goes through all these interpersonal things that are one-on-one type ministries. And then he says, uh, because you didn't do these things, depart from me. And then he says to another group, because you did do these things, enter into the joys of the Lord. And they say, Lord, When? At what point did we see you hungry and thirsty and abandoned and imprisoned? And we came and we ministered to you. And he said, Inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these, my little ones, you did it unto me. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. That's the way that we're all going to be judged. In fact, the scary part about this is there's another group there that says, Well, wait a minute, God. We did a lot of really big, important things in your name. And he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. So what am I saying? I'm saying that this is what got to me, that if my life was going to have substantial meaning, it was going to be ministering to those that nobody else cared anything about because ministering to them is not going to make you famous. Ministering to them, you do this because you care about these little souls that God cares about, that Jesus cared about, that Jesus died for. But by ministering to them, you have participated in real ministry. Okay, I don't want to get preachy. I don't want to get up on a stump. I'm just telling you, this is my passion. So, if you will help us by sponsoring a pony, what you're doing is you're directly partnering with us, and there's some things we're going to do. By doing this, you're contributing to the care of those animals which are a every one of them are their own little evangelists but something else we need to build one final building Nita and I have paid for everything else we've paid for the commercial property in Crane we've built the studios we bought 300 acres we've built all the buildings we built the giant arena we've built the paddocks we've built the, the 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 RV park we've built everything but we are at an end to, the retirement monies that we had and there is one final building that we need to build and that's the corporate offices the greeting center the place where people would come uh... and meet with us to use this facility it's going to take only about hundred and twenty five thousand dollars now that might sound like a lot of money but for the building we're building this building if i were to hire contractors to come in and build it it would cost me three or four hundred thousand dollars but I have people that are employed by me full time, including myself, by the way, and Joe Artist, who, who Steve knows, and we are all fabulous <laughs> contractors. I mean, we're 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 Sun City level, uh, you know, contractors, um, and we will build it. We just need the materials to be purchased, uh, and that's going to cost about one hundred and twenty-five thousand. So, if you sponsor, a, if we could get one hundred and twenty-five people. Basically, that's it. To sponsor a pony, we'll have the money we need to build this final building, and by this fall, we will be in operation. Now, here's what I want to say. If you become a WPR sponsor, there's some cute little things you're going to receive, and then there's some other things. First of all, you're going to receive a hoofed signed frameable picture of your sponsor horse. So, like Steve, you're going to receive a hoofed sign. Uh, picture of cowboy Fabio, right? Um, Yep. Secondly, uh, a personalized autographed copy of Nita Horn's memoir, my wife's memoir, called No Fences. It started with a plastic pony all about the childhood vision that led her to the 280-acre Whispering Ponies Ranch where we're at now. Also, though, you're going to receive free registration to the uh, 2017 next year Skywatch Television and Defender Publishing Conference at that conference, you're also going to be honored in a banquet where you will join me and Nita and the other members of the of Skywatch Television and Defender Publishing, and we will give you a report. So at that at that conference and in that uh, banquet, we're going to give you a report that's going to tell you exactly how your money was used. You're also going to be a member of the WPR Founders Club, which includes free uh, Skywatch TV mag- uh you know, magazine subscriptions, other stuff like that. And then finally, um, you will be invited to the annual Founders Club Private Retreat that's going to happen here at the Whispering Ponies Ranch starting next year. And this is going to include private devotionals with me and Anita. the meet and greet with the Skywatch TV and Defender Publishing staff. You'll watch a live viewing of Skywatch Television. So there's a lot more information about this. I don't want to take advantage of, of Doug and Joe Hagman by going on and on and on about all this. But you'll be part of the uh, Whispering Ponies Ranch and part of the Founders Club. Go and read the links. Pray about it. And if God should so move upon you to help us, that revenue is going to go into building this final building that we need that will then uh, get us started. So that's all I'm going to say about it. Pray about it. If God moves on your heart, we need the help right now and we will be responsible for it and Steve Quayle has been on our property and he knows exactly how (laughs) uh, committed we are to everything that we're doing here and that's all I'll say about that.
4: Well, and again, you know, Doug and Joe and Tom, thank you for that because you know, I'm 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 excited about this because again, I, I think of the scripture, Tom, it's on your heart. Inasmuch as you did it under the least of these, you've done it unto me, you know, and most Christians have had it done unto them and not in the context of what Jesus is talking about. It seems like everybody, you know, is asking for this or for that. But what I'm what I'm gonna do is obviously I've already committed to cowboy, you know. And Anybody wants to join on that horse. But I, I want to share something else. If any of you really feel in your heart tonight and pray about it, that God wants you to be involved in this, and, Tom, I might do, pull something you pulled. I'll fly into Crane, and we'll have a private sit-down with the benefactors and share behind the scenes what we, neither one of us can really talk about on the radio. And it's I'm not, I'm not using that as bait, but here's the deal. I determine someone's sincerity by anybody can say God bless you, brother. But those who show up and maybe we'll make that something that uh, you know we'll we'll talk about off the air. But we would uh, we would more than be happy, Tom and I, to sit down, you know, in a private meeting with those of you that may would maybe would like to get involved. Are you going to ask us questions? that uh, quite candidly, uh, we're we're still on this earth by the grace of God and through the intercessors. There are some things we just can't share publicly. So uh, get involved. Now, Tom, here's what I want you to do. I want you to explain what happened when you died and how the Lord gave you the understanding. Would you share that? And then we're going to go into, ladies and gentlemen, you don't know this, but for those of you that may have been aware of the Sons of Anarchy movie, it was based on a real motorcycle gang and a real leader of that motorcycle gang and how God led Tom Horn to lead him to Jesus and the events surrounding it, probably one of the most amazing stories that uh, Hollywood would be too chicken to make because it's so redemptive, but also the unusual nature of God's protection and provision for Tom and Nita during that whole time period. But, but Tom, take this time, because I want people to recognize that God is doing something. He's positioned in a lot of people's hearts to do things in the end time. So will you just take your liberty now and share that story?
3: and uh, w- between um the true story of the sons of anarchy and the fact that uh when i was a young uh hungry christian i died which of those two do you want me to start at
4: I want people to hear about how long you were dead and what the Lord showed you, but then also what he told you, because when you and Chris, I want people to understand the supernatural origin of bringing you back to life and setting you on your way, because that's a pretty powerful testimony. Then we'll okay. go into the Sons of Anarchy.
3: Okay, well, so, so here, here, you know, I'll try to do this as quickly as I can. Many years ago, I died. Um, I went to bed one night, I wasn't thinking anything special. The next thing I know, I am literally standing in front of the most brilliant light I've ever seen in my life, and um, it could have been a throne. I, I don't know, really, I don't really know what I was doing there or what I was looking at, but I knew that I was in front of what I was calling the Lord. How do I know that? Because I was, I was saying, Lord, it's too wonderful. It's too wonderful. Don't let me forget. Don't let me forget. And Somehow I knew that I had been shown something uh, and that I had been told that I was going to forget what I had seen, and I was begging God not to let me uh, forget that. I had known something, it was a, in, and, and in my mind it was the disclosure of vast importance um, uh, something in my cognition, like a great uh revelation, like some kind of a giant scroll had unfolded before me um and by the way, <clears throat> if it wasn't for the fact that this story could be verified, I would not be telling the story today because i myself i'm 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 weird, I guess. I don't really like to hear people get up and talk about giant revelations and all this stuff, because people can just make stuff up, right? (laughs) And so if there isn't something that corroborates it, um, I guess I'm a a little bit of a pessimist or something, because of all of my years in the institution in which I saw so much bakery. it kind of tainted my ability to, not that I don't believe in the supernatural, because I do, but it kind of kind of tainted me in, in, in some ways. But nevertheless, years ago, here I was. And I'm saying, Lord, please don't let me forget. And I knew something about the future. There was data. It was almost like it had been downloaded into my uh, mind. I had visualized it. I had seen it somehow. But then immediately it was blocked from me. And I, and, and, and I couldn't understand none of this. I mean, what would be the purpose, by the way, of God giving you a revelation, and then saying, now I'm not going to let you remember what you saw. My rational mind said, what is the purpose of that? <laughs> right? I mean, but 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 something else had happened. And I knew that a scroll of some kind had unrolled before me. It had literally just rolled out. And there were themes on this like, Of a distant tomorrow, a hereafter, a time ahead. My time ahead was playing out on what looked like a silvery parchment. And it had been as clear and as believable as if I were watching a movie. Rich depictions of a destiny, a possible future, something extraordinary, miraculous, a cinematic conveyance of a a personal fate, like like a potential existence that could happen. And somehow this had just been downloaded into my mind, um, and yet it had to do with a future time. So here I am. All of this stuff is flooding my soul, and I see myself, and I'm standing there, and I'm begging the Lord, please don't let me forget. Um, And then I hear a still, small voice, and it says, you're not going to remember and it's time for you to go back now. And then I heard a thunderclap, and I, and I felt myself falling backward, and I'm falling fast. It was just as if I had fallen out of an airplane window, and I can literally feel and hear the wind moving around me as I'm looking upward, but I'm not afraid, and I'm just glazing unblinkingly upward in amazement, really. Th- this
0: brilliance
3: that had just been in front of me, now it's moving swiftly away into the distance, um, and there's this high-pitched whistling sound that's rushing in around my ears. And, I, and I'm thinking it's the air that's kind of carrying me aloft as I'm plummeting toward the earth. And then a moment later, the, the, the weirdest thing in the world happens. I literally see the roof of my house go around me. It literally goes around me, whoop, like that. Uh, and bam, I hit my bed. Now, I set up. And in that moment, I'm back in this material reality, and I don't know that anybody, if if you've never had an experience like this, you're not even going to be able to comprehend what I'm saying. But I set up, realizing that I'm back in this material, three-dimensional reality, but this is less real to me than the place I just was. Um, And I, to this day, and I don't remember a lot of stuff, and I can maybe even explain later why I don't, Um, But I remember this. Um, I hit the bed, I sat up in the bed, and I literally go, (gasps) like that. Just this deep inhalation. And I slowly let it out. And I realize something very extraordinary has happened. Wherever I was, whatever I seen, now I'm back to this so-called real world and this material earthly substance straight way feels less authentic to me than where I just had been, but here I am, um, and it's the middle of the night, and I'm a young preacher, and I'm sitting there for a few seconds. Maybe I'm in shock. I think I was in shock. I'm trying to figure out what happened. I can feel my chest burning, by the way, Uh, and then I hear something, and my wife, Nita, who was on the program with us earlier. She's young at that time, of course, and she's right next to me. Her head is in her hands, and she's crying. And as my eyes adjust to the darkness, I I turn and I find her isolated there. She looks as if she's been crying desperately. She's got this really unfamiliar expression. But somehow it's conveying what I already understood, that we both had experienced something here that's far more irregular preternatural anything than we could have prepared for. So I look at her, (coughs) and I say, Nita, what's going on? Why are you crying? And it takes her a moment to collect herself, and then she looks at me, and she begins telling me how she woke up in the middle of the night, and I was dead. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm dead. For 15 minutes, she's beating on my chest. Um, I've got no breath. No pulse, no heartbeat. She's trying to do something like CPR and doesn't really know how to. We didn't even have a phone in those days, so she doesn't know how to call 911. There's nothing like that, by the way, back then that even existed. She didn't know what to do. So she had been praying. She had been crying. And and frankly, by the way, she had thought she's just going to drag me out to the car (laughs) and take me to the hospital. She didn't know what to do, right? Um, But then I woke up. And I looked at her, and she told me that I had been dead so far as she was concerned for the last 15 minutes, but in my mind, I had been in this other place where time and distance really was. You you didn't think in terms of 15 minutes. This was a different kind of a reality. So I knew something extraordinary had happened. Nita did. And by the way, I laugh about this, Steve, all the time. I say... Um, I, 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 now then, you know, since I've started telling this story, which I didn't tell it until a few years ago, but I laugh about it now and I say that people would look at me and say, if you were dead 15 minutes, you should have had brain damage, so it should have been really supernatural. And then they'll say, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> that, that, that really does kind of explain <laughs> Tom Horne and where he's coming from, right? And all well. the brain damage. Uh-huh. Well,
4: and, and and I think it's important that people understand that you know th- there's a scripture that literally says in the dreams, you know, and visions that God seals our instruction in the night. I, th- I think it's interesting, Tom, because I still maintain, for the record, I want to go on and say this to our listening audience: I never knew that happened to you until I read it on the first part of your series for the new book on Skywatch. And I've known Tom for fifteen, seventeen years, whatever. So that's fascinating and it is well, you know as I, I i and i believe this i believe god time codes visions and revelations that he, he gives them to you, then he withdraws them until it's ready to be uh, accomplished or it's unfolding as you're speaking it out. How many times have you and I been on talk radio and even to draw the ire of our critics in the world of academia and been pronouncing things before they did, only to have them follow suit? Now, that's not bragging. It's a matter of record. And I want to share this. I believe you are one of these men. Sir Isaac Newton made this statement about the times of the end a body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. Well, when you and Chris came up with, obviously, the understanding through prophecy, by the way, fulfilling uh, Newton's wisdom there, uh, it was was a world-shaking event. And and Tom and you know this Doug and Joe Tom's shared that on your show many times but what I'm interested in Tom now fast forward here's where I get you to the bottom line the feeling that you're having by closing out the your new book obviously the fourth in the series And offering that to Hagman, you know, they buy the new one, they get all the the, the free books and the other three books, the free F-R-E-E and then the other T-H-R-E-E books. But how do you see now, based on your sense and your spirit, that this is so timed with when you died for 15 minutes and, and, you know, you wouldn't remember, but aren't you starting to get glimpses Aren't you yeah. sensing that the fulfillment of the hidden things now are going to be revealed? Go ahead, sir. Yeah. Well,
3: what well what had happened was, um, and the reason that you know the world for the most part has never heard this uh, story is because after this happened, and God allowed Nita to wake up to find me in that condition. Otherwise, I know me. I would have doubted it over the years. Not right at first. I knew it was supernatural at first, but give it twenty, thirty years. And then the enemy comes in, and you begin to doubt. And you might have said, well, yeah, maybe it wasn't real. But God did away with that by having Nita wake up and find me and try to revive me for 15 minutes. And because she did, that's always been the one thing that, uh, you know, kept me at a point where I realized something supernatural had occurred. And you mentioned a moment ago, um, you know, uh, the um, book of Job, Um in, in the visions in the night time um, where that verse comes in is that um, i begin praying when i a, after that event happened i started praying um, went to my pastor I talked to my pastor at the time and told him what happened he basically said i'd probably ate too many j- chili beans or was poisoned so that absolutely shut me down that's, that's what happened that caused me not to want to share this with the world at all was because that um, my pastor didn't get it he had not had that kind of a supernatural experience so he couldn't understand where I was even coming from uh, and I learned a really valuable lesson about not sharing with people that have not had supernatural uh, experiences things that they can't comprehend you know that's the old Verse about uh, not casting your pearls before swine, that kind of thing. Um, Well, I
1: got to, hey,
4: Tom, I got to share something with that, okay? I tried to be transparent on talk radio, and when I shared a similar thing, and I won't share it tonight, but the bottom line is the the casting pearls before a swine. I said, Lord, I want to be transparent. I want people to understand I'm real. I'm not perfect. I'm the furthest thing. I'm a poster child for redemption. Do you know what? One night, and I, people are going to doubt this, but anybody who hasn't had a supernatural touch on their life or a transformational experience with Jesus, you know, basically can't believe or receive anything. But one night, the Lord spoke to me. You're going to love this. He said, I never asked you to be a jewelry store for swine. <laughs> now, I have never made those statements in my life. I mean, they came to me, okay, and I call that shower time with Jesus because just and and, and so I understand that I've gotten to the point now where I won't. I don't want to share anything unless it's just so profound that, you know, God says share it, because anybody who has never had a touch of God in their life in that way, and that doesn't make us special, but you know, I'll only share this, when I saw Jesus face to face, thrown on my face, not in a dream, not in a vision, and he gave me a vision of the world events that would take place in the future, he also told me this, and this is what blew my mind about finding out what had happened to you, he said, but I'm going to hide it from you and only release it as it's ready to come to pass. So you can understand when I read your, uh, you know, uh, test me, which I never knew until I read it on Skywatch TV's, uh, you know, on your essays concerning your new book so it was true I saw a parallel there and I thought and and people have remarked on this Tom and Doug and Joe you guys have seen it in action how come you Tom and Steve this is the question I get how come you guys flow together you don't talk about what you're doing Uh, you know we don't compare notes, and God just leads you almost in the same direction. Well, the answer is, we have the same Father, but we also have sealed up instructions that seem to be playing out. Saying that, share now what you feel the revelation is, and when you're closing, pun intended here, you know, the last chapter of your books with a fourth book, how do you see what happened to you when you were dead, the revelation that God gave to you, you're not going to remember, but also knowing That the time would come when you would remember. And all those things that you said, like a scroll, and isn't it interesting because that's what the book of Revelation opens with, our scrolls, who is worthy to open the scrolls, who's worthy to break the seals and and the the unfolding scrolls. So share, if you will, with the listeners, because I find this mind-blowing.
3: Yeah, well, what had happened was, um, you know, uh, friend of mine, Sid Roth, he's got the Supernatural television series, he, he had been asking me to share this. So I eventually I did. I went on one of his programs, but when I say I shared it, I shared less with his TV audience than I've already talked about with Hagman tonight. Um, and what I found was people across the world were very supportive. Of it. In fact, a lot of other people, it had helped them in that they too were kind of connecting with what I was talking about. They really got it, but they also had, they're in institutional churches, right? They're trying to share this with their pastors and whoever, and people are saying, eh, I don't know, maybe it's a like a reaction to your drug days. or <laughs> You're having a flashback. People that just absolutely can't get it. So after my disappointing experiences with my pastor telling me that I probably had ate some poison or something, he just totally couldn't get it. I, I stopped, I, I didn't. I just didn't share what had happened with me for the longest period of time. But what had happened was, at that time, I was reading through the book of Job, and I just want to tell people this is the verse you were talking about a moment ago. Um, for the first time in my life, young man, I had this experience. I happened to be reading through the, through the Bible for the first time in my life, from Genesis to Revelation, and I was in Job. And the Word of God literally came off the pages. Uh, at me, um, and a, a, a Rima moment, right, that the charismatics would refer to, uh, and if people want to read this for themselves, it's in Job 33, 15 through 17, and here's what it says, it says, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon man, in slumberings upon the bed, then he opens the ears of men, and feels their instructions within them, that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. End quote. So, Steve, even though I was really young, when I read that at that time I clearly understood what God was saying to me. It was like the apostle Paul, who didn't know whether he was in the body or out of the body in Second Corinthians, when he was caught up into the third heaven. God, on that momentous night when I died, he had taken me to a heavenly place. He allowed Nita. To be in the physical world, witnessing my death for 15 minutes, trying to revive me, to verify it later, while I myself was in a place where he was sealing instructions within me. Now, these directions would be there when I needed them uh, during life, like a road map that the Holy Spirit would quicken at different times when I needed guidance or information, but I wasn't to remember the, those details ahead of time. Otherwise, I might be drawn away That what Job, what Job says. I might be drawn away into my own purpose and lifted up with pride. What does that mean? If, as a young believer, I had seen the ministries that God would later allow me and needed to participate in, from pastoring large churches to owning a Christian publishing house and syndicated television ministry, even WPR, speaking at major conferences, being a best-selling author, if I had saw that, it would have totally gone to my head. I very likely would have made two really big mistakes as a young Christian. First, I would have immediately aimed at these later ministries. I would have just started working directly toward them to try to make them happen, all without the benefit of the struggles and the trials and the setbacks and the side roads and the experiences. Everything that's necessary for seasoning and hopefully qualifying one, to operate in those ministries. And therefore, the part of Job where it says, he withdrew me from my purpose. And secondly, I would have been tempted by pride to think of myself as more than I should have as a young man. If I had seen myself, you know, winding up in high-profile ministries, uh, I would have thought of myself more than I should have. So God, in his benevolence, hid pride. That's the other part of that verse, to hide pride from man. He hid pride from me by keeping the revelation sealed until the appropriate time. Well, fast forward to the last few years, to what I now call the quickening. Uh, In the Bible, it is really clear that God does seal knowledge, wisdom. You said a moment ago from Daniel, seal up the wisdom, seal up the vision until the time. Steve, this is very biblical. God seals knowledge and wisdom and revelation in the hearts of those that follow him. Uh, And that those truths, those concealed truths can be quickened. They can be made alive at the right moment as they are needed. This is something that's reflected all throughout Scripture. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus saying to his disciples, when they deliver you up, don't take any thought for how or what you're going to say. It will be given you in that same moment when you speak, for it's not you that speaks, but it is the Holy Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And and this is something that is reflected. It's, it's really actually a, a kind of a very deep theological partnership um, between us and uh, God. 2 Timothy 215 Psalms one nineteen eleven, 11, all these texts that talk about um, the responsibility on the one hand that we have for knowing the Word of God and being good uh, discerners of the Word of God. But on the other hand, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this mystical union that God holds with all of the members of the true church, the body of Christ. Proverbs 3, 6, for instance, when it says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, now, that's the, us doing our part. Acknowledge him. Then what does it say? And he will direct thy path. That's his part. Um, in John, uh, six, uh, six, uh, John 6, where it talks about the Holy Spirit as the one that quickens, and this is the whole Greek zopio or whatever it is, where where it means to cause to make alive at that moment. This is when the Word of God, the sealed instructions that Job talked about, suddenly they come alive. Now, let me try to get to where you asked me to go. I'm not sure how that experience plays out for other people, but several times in my life and at times that were completely unexpected, I have literally been jolted from bed in the middle of the night with an astonishing glimpse of the future, I don't know. Does, does, do other people? Is that the way it works for them? I really don't know. I mean, since I left institutional Christianity, I, I and I heard all the you know the three-point sermons and everything else. I really don't know. All I can tell you is that for me, that's the way it happens. I don't expect it. I'm not looking for it. It and it's always in the middle of the night, and I am literally. Awakened almost every time at 2 o'clock in the morning. um, And I have this astonishing glimpse. And at that moment, this is something that I believe is taken from this original storyboard that God gave me years ago when I was saying to him, please, don't let me forget, don't let me forget. And he was saying, you need to go back now. You're not going to remember. For instance, there was an occasion... um, we were talking earlier about me being at Camp Davidson. Uh, there was an occasion when, right after I left Camp Davidson, um, I was shaken from sleep, a very powerful, very detailed list of things, and I jumped out of bed, wrote it down as fast as I could, because, by the way, also, each time this happened, this stuff disappears to me almost faster than I can write it down. I have got to get up write it down very quickly because it's going away from me very quickly, and soon I won't remember any of the details, so I have to jump up, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, And, and this is so important to me, by the way, that I always keep blank paper and a pen right in front of my computer right next to my bed, so that if this ever happens, I can jump up and write down as fast as I can write it because it starts disappearing from me very quickly. Um. One night I'm shaking from sleep right after Camp Davidson. I get this really powerful, detailed list of things that are going to happen in the Assemblies of God, the Oregon District, uh, where I was an executive. I wrote it down, including names of people, what would happen, exactly what's going to go on, the danger of one person being killed. I mean, this was a major event. I sent that to the state superintendent of the Oregon District, who if he's listening to this program tonight, he knows he got the letter from me. Uh, I also sent it to the Camp and Conference Ministries Board. They all got it. But I also gave a copy to my son, Joe Artist, who you've met, Steve, and you have great respect for. I also gave a copy to Anita because I know these other guys, they're religious, and they lie through their teeth. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. They'll cover their own butt but i sent him a letter it was not even 36 months later where everything that i had uh, predicted played out exactly as i had seen it down to the smallest particulars uh including the death of one of the individuals involved where i said if the district don't do certain things this is going to happen they didn't and it did and it so shook Joe artist up, and and Steve, you know Joe, and you know he's as honest as the day is long. This kid would not make up anything. Well, I call him a kid. He's <laughs> he's forty some years old, but he would not make up anything, right? Um, he was so shook up, came to me in utter amazement, wanting to know how in the world could you have, could it have been possible for you to foresee these comprehensive details with this kind of accuracy. And I had to explain to him again, it really isn't me. It's not me whatsoever. Now, so I call those the quickening. So here's a more recent quickening revelation to get kind of the people that are listening to this that are starting to think, okay, Tom's making a bunch of stuff up. Here's one that the world, for the most part, knows about now, involving how me and Chris Putnam were able to very precisely predict the historic resignation of Pope Benedict in our book Petrus Romanus the final Pope is here a year in advance. This began with a series of preternatural events and Chris would tell you this himself and Chris is a very careful guy and he don't make anything up but he would tell you that there were supernatural things that were happening around both of us and I don't have time to go into all of that tonight but it led to us writing Petrus Romanus. During the research phase of that book, Putnam Chris Putnam, he uncovered the obscure manuscript of a Belgian Jesuit by the name of Rene Thibault. Again, I'm not going to go into all that because we've talked about it before. But it led to um, an idea that Pope Benedict was going to resign in April 2012. And what happened was, it was during that time that 2 o'clock in the morning as usual, I'm literally woke from sleep. I jump out of bed. I sit up in bed. I jump out of bed. I sit down and I start writing. And I'm writing. Putnam is right. God led him to make the discovery of Rene Thibault. Pope Benedict is going to resign in April of 2012, and he's going to cite health reasons as a cover for his abdication. Now, people can verify this because we went on television in 2011 we also did radio Steve, with you in which we said the Pope's gonna resign 2012 he's gonna recite he's gonna claim health reasons Um, we rushed our book Petrus Romanus to be out ahead of that event it got out ahead of the event we even uh, in fact if people want to get the book Petrus Romanus which was published before Benedict's resignation Turn to page 470, in which we say the Pope is going to step down in April 2012. We said it's likely to happen in the book, in media, which you can watch on YouTube and on some of the radio programs we did with Steve Quell at the time, we said uh, it, it is not only could it happen, it's going to. Then the year 2012 comes and goes, the Pope doesn't resign officially. And people are looking at us and they're saying, oh, see, you guys didn't know what you were talking about. You made a mistake. Then, February 28, 2013, the Pope resigns, and the El Observatorio Romano, which is the Vatican official uh, news outlet, they give an interview with the uh, um, New York Times in which they admit that actually at the end of a trip, in March 2012 the pope came back he retired uh, resigned internally secretly to the curia made it official in April of 2012 but didn't announce it until 2013 and our phones literally went were ringing off the hook because everybody everywhere wanted to know how in the world did we know that and who are who was our insider at the Vatican well it was a miraculous thing. It was, it was the research of Chris Putnam, but what confirmed it for us was the quickening, something that I can't explain beyond that. It's just simply something that does happen, and it dates back to that moment in time where I died and was with the Lord, and I said, please don't let me forget, and the Lord said, you are gonna forget. Um, but these moments in time happen as they need to. Well, things have happened since then, too, that people are going to find out about in the final Roman Emperor, which is the last book. And that's the last book we're doing on that series, Uh, and it's the, the biggest revelations of all.
4: Are you going to give anybody a hint at this point? (laughs) You know, I I don't want you to ruin anything because obviously I want them to read the book. But I I think the bigger issue for people understand is this: is that there's a lot of clamor out there, and I think a man's gift makes way for him, as yours has, Tom. I think it's been an amazing amount of uh, people touched for Jesus. You know, I get people trying to correct my theology. uh, You know, massively every day. They don't like words I speak, they don't like this, but at the end of the day, you know, I stand before Jesus, you stand before Jesus, but it's, I know even when you asked me to write a chapter for Blood on the Altar, I think that that's another example of a sealed, if you will, directive from the Holy Spirit that you had received in Heaven. Because, ladies and gentlemen, one of the most difficult things to explain, and for the record, neither Tom or I are Catholic bashers, we're telling you Point blank the wars that are coming between even traditional Catholics and I don't, what, what do you call the new ones that are following this Pope as uh, sheep to the slaughter? I mean, you know, I uh, uh, the new Catholicism or, or revisionist Catholicism but what I'm trying to say in this is that the, the times that are upon us it's one thing to talk about this stuff after the fact, but you and Chris nailed it before the fact. Will you say that the final title for your book, and by the Wait, I've never asked Tom to give me the bottom line in, uh, you know, off so I can't uh, let anything slip, but the point being is is that the revelation for your title and uh, the culmination of this four-part series is obviously something that is in your knower, that's your spirit. Remember in the Assembly of God talk, you'd hear the pastors get them say, you know, you just know when you know her, you know? And I'd say, boy, we should get rid of his white shoes and white belt, then I'd listen, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, only yeah. our leader suit, okay? Only people in well, oh. the Assembly got, will realize that. But
3: Yeah. Well, Yes. Uh, uh, well, uh, the thing is that, the uh, you know, Gary Sherman, he was here a couple of days ago. He was at our place. He We did some recordings with him. He's reading the book right now, The Final Roman Emperor. He got an advanced copy. He said, Tom... He said this is the most important book that you and Chris have written, and secondly, he said it's the most complex. Now Gary Stearman, as he's a theologian, I mean he's a very smart guy, and uh, you know he's the, 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 the you know the, the spokesman for Prophecy Watchers. He was he worked with J R Church for years at Prophecy in the News. His family is the famous Stearman aircraft family. I mean these are all highly educated people. And uh, he said to me, he said, this is the most complex book you've written and the most important. And he said, people that read this, they're going to have to read it slowly because it's almost like every line has this like compact revelation in it. And that's really true. And that's why we said this is the most important of all of the books. Uh, and so when I do a program like this one with you or anybody else, And I say, I can't go into all the details. It's because there's no way in the world you can take a 600-page book that's got literally, uh, whatever it is, a thousand footnotes. I mean, you cannot go into all the the tiny details of that book. Here's what I would say. We do make the biggest predictions. And we have a fair, and we have a, a, actually, I won't even say a fairly good, we have an excellent proven record. So far, the predictions that we've made, have been right on target. And I'm not say, saying that in any kind of braggadocious, because I'm nobody. I'm nobody. If it isn't for God, I'm nobody. I don't know anything. I'm not special. I'm not a big-haired evangelist that wants you to buy some rubbing oil from me for $20 a vial. I, I I'm just telling you that, hold that this is a, Hold that
2: thought, Tom. We are at the top of the hour break. Folks, you're listening to Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com, Tom Horn, Skywatch. TV we'll be right back after these short messages for our third and final hour stay with us this
3: is the global star radio net
0: exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link, Stained by Blood.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this third and final hour on the Friday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're joined by Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com and Tom Horn from Skywatch TV. We're talking about uh, a near death experience Tom had and what the Lord has revealed to him, not only through that experience, but it is uh, things are still being revealed. Uh, we're going to get right back to that. Just a quick announcement. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Minuteman Man Stoves. Go to minutemanstove.com. Check out our new sponsors, portable uh very nice hand
6: uh handcrafted. Oh man, I say handcrafted. handcrafted, yeah. Yeah. Uh
2: it's a it's an awesome product. If you guys want to see Rocket Stove. Uh go to yesterday's broadcast and at 7:30 we actually have the stove here in studio. We show it to you and we bring on Lane Miller the owner of Minuteman Rocket Stove, and it is a great addition to anybody's survival and preparation needs. It is something that complements American Survival Wholesale's food line or any food line that you have. Uh, It makes cooking on the the go for camping or in times where power might be out for a day, two or three, Uh, very simple. Folks go to minutemanstove.com. Check out this Yeah. And I
6: just want to I just want to make an on-air apology very quickly. Yesterday when, it, when I was referencing the um strikers, the uh, fire strikers and and Joe was uh we were talking about that here in the studio. I made a reference to um uh, the fire great white fire. I did, in fact, it was a passing reference, it was only a, a, it was just a one sentence reference. I got an email today and um the individual thought I was very crass thing to to make reference to and and I just want to apologize publicly if I offended anyone by by saying that because uh obviously i in fact a good investigative friend of mine lost uh uh two key people very dear dear people to to her in that fire so if if, if i if i sounded uh, if that sounded off or if I sounded crass about about that fire I, I certainly want to just say that there was no intent whatsoever to um uh to, to make it sound that way so uh you know and and of course my my sympathy and goes out to all the victims of that uh, tragic event years ago and so please accept my apologies if if i if that sounded offensive in any way shape or form but we are so blessed tonight so blessed tonight first hour tom nita uh, tom nita horn and steve Quayle. second hour tom tom horn and steve Quayle. just a fascinating recap of what's going on um Steve, we're going to toss it to you. Um, go ahead and uh, um, continue with uh, Tom.
4: Well, I think again tonight the reason I wanted to share this, uh, you know, time with all of you out in radio land and listeners is because the fingerprints, the handprints, the palm prints, and the heartbeat of what God is doing in the earth are available to each and every one. You know, I like what Pastor David Langford said. It's that God never turns away from any man, but any man can choose to be as close to Jesus as he chooses. And it's it's fascinating. Uh, one time somebody was beating up on Pastor Langford and, and really, really coming down on him because they didn't like the way he spoke or they didn't like the way he preached, blah, blah, blah. And the guy said he got a word from the Lord. He was complaining to God. And he said, God, why do you love David Langford more than you love me? And the Lord said, I don't. He loves me more than you love me. So isn't that a beautiful point? And here's the deal. You know, you can look at a man's life. I look at Tom Horn. I obviously what he's been through. he shared with me some amazing stories. But these stories are like the old days when people used to get up in real Bible-believing churches and testify to what the Lord has done. You remember those days, Tom? That was probably one of the things that I appreciated the most about uh, the majority of Assembly of God congregations. I would, Because people would testify to the miraculous working power of God. I'm telling everyone tonight that this is laying a basis for you all to know that your labors are not in vain, your intercessors. You are are absolutely making it possible for others to go where you can't go. Uh, we're all in this together. And, Tom, again, I just want to make one last statement. When you wrote Blood on the Altar, uh, actually a question, what prompted you to that? And then I want to take and go immediately into the Sons of Anarchy.
3: Yeah, uh- You know, what was really strange, Um, I'm a publisher. I publish a lot of books, not only my own books, by others. Um, And it was just an idea that came to me one day, this idea that the time is coming in which the church is going to be divided, and there are going to be Christians versus Christians, conservatives versus um, liberals, however you want to phrase that. And I started talking to a lot of my friends, Chuck Misler, different people, and they were saying, well, did you, didn't you know that this was actually prophesied by some of the ancients? Um, and so it just kind of really became an idea to me. But then I started looking at what was happening. Now, here's what's ironic, Chris, uh, uh, Steve, is that this was before the Scottish decision um, that opened the whole um, you know LBGT agenda that now has been espoused by the president and the bathroom stuff, all this stuff. it was it was before all of that that I contacted you and the book's been in print since before then um, in which we said, you know, decisions are going to come and um, it is going to pit one kind of, church against the other one they both call themselves evangelical but it's really going to be the days of lot versus the conservative church and so that's what the whole you know the whole the whole idea behind this book blood on the altar but that ultimately this was was going to lead to significant conflict not only in which the supreme court and the social system the cultural system was going to be Uh, against conservative Christians, but it was where even the church itself was going to be divided, the organized church, in which you're going to have the liberal side pitting themselves against the conservative side, and ultimately, this is going to lead to the coming of a one-world church system, antichrist system, that is opposed to what you and I would call conservative Christians. So. It was amazing that we published that book, and we published it a year before the Scottish decision, but now, of course, we got to do some other shows, not this one, another show, in which we talk about everything that's happened since then, uh, and what that might mean in terms of uh, prophecy. Now, you mentioned... Um, the Sons of Anarchy. What do you want what do you want to do on that?
4: I want you to share the story. Obviously, because of the issues that are still peripheral to that. Share you know, no names, but ladies and gentlemen, you know, it's the real deal, even to the point of on one of the uh scenes in Sons of Anarchy, they put Tom's old phone number on yeah, a panel did. truck. Yeah,
1: they so
4: they yeah, share, share Tom, just the story of how you met one of the most famous bike outlaw bikers in the country and yeah, his I
0: ensuing mean, conversion.
3: Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting story. I've never told it. This will be the first time I've told it on the air. Of course, my family is aware of it, and everybody that was part of the Cornerstone Assembly of God in Crescent City, California, they're all aware of it. Uh, and there will be people listening to this program that are going to go, oh, my gosh, he's talking about back in the day, right? But, um, but the TV series, The Sons of Anarchy, became really popular. What what the world don't know is that that was actually based on a real bike gang, the Devil's Disciple, outlaw mo- motorcycle gang, based outside of uh, the northern California town of Crescent City during the 70s and 80s. I pastored there in the 80s. Um, and some of the interesting tidbits that are in the series were based on that bike club and things that they actually really did uh, do. Now, for those that, you know, that love this kind of thing and they're watching the series and all that, for you to understand who the series is based on, the first thing is to look at the moniker Sam Crow, uh, which is uh, an anagram. And it stands for Sons of Anarchy Motorcycle Club, Redwood Original. That's where Sam Crow comes from. And that directly points to um, the Redwoods um, in Crescent City, where the real mother president of this gang, the the mysterious father of Jax Teller in the TV series, was a man that I knew, good friend of mine, actually. Now, in the series uh, of uh, Sons of Anarchy, you have this character, Jackson, or Jax Jack's Teller, the young guy, right? And, he, and in the very first series, what does he do? He visits the storage unit, and he's there to collect some old baby clothes or something, but he finds a manifesto written by his father, the deceased founder of Sam Crow. And he starts reading it. So the very first series, you see, he's like sitting up on a hill. He's reading this manuscript. And he's learning that his father had become disillusioned with the club and he wanted to do away with the club. He wanted to shut it down. And so Sam Crow, I mean uh, uh, Jacks, he gets in this dilemma. Uh, he's struggling with the direction of the club and whatever. So that very first season is lightly based on facts. That I can briefly explain uh, that were real but um, uh, but first let me just make this point that the world don't know the real leader of the group on which the TV series the Sons of Anarchy was based was saved in a church that I pastored Crescent City Assembly of God became known as Cornerstone Assembly of God. Um, And I'm intentionally not telling you his name. I've told um, Steve privately what his real name was. I'm not doing it only because Joe Artis, my son, had these gut feelings that we shouldn't be talking about the real name, maybe because we want to protect the family or whatever. So I'm I'm just not telling you what his name is. But the the truth was... um, He got saved in our church. Now, how did he get saved? And this is part of the the story that's kind of, it's actually kind of very interesting. There was a man in our church, um, and this guy, uh, a lot of people even in my church thought he was crazy. So, (laughs) but he would speak in tongues. And this guy would stand out on the street in Crescent City when the original Sons of Anarchy outlaw bike gangs When they would ride down the street, and he would hold up his hand, and he would point his hand at the leader, Um, and he would speak in tongues, and he would prophesy, and he would say different things. Well, later on, by the way, when the leader of that bike gang got saved in our church, he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, I was not afraid of nobody, nobody, nowhere. But he said, that guy... He scared the chicken liver out of me <laughs> because, he said, there was something about him. Well, anyway, that guy caused him, of course, partly to get saved. So, so he comes into our church. He gets saved. But I, at that time, I don't really even yet know the backstory. I don't really even know who he is. I go down to the altar. I'm talking to him. He's telling me he's the leader of an outlaw motorcycle gang. I don't yet know who he really honestly is. So, Sheriff Hopper, who is a non-Christian, agnostic or atheist, whatever he was, but he was the sheriff of that county in Crescent City at that time. All of this can be verified, by the way. I get a hold of him because I had two or three people in my church. We were the biggest church in the county, and I had two or three people that were involved in law enforcement and that sort of thing. And so I get a hold of Sheriff Hopper, and I ask him, you know, who is this guy? I mean, he's telling me he's the leader of a bike gang, And Sheriff Hopper literally drives over to see me, and he tells me, Brother, if that guy got saved, the whole county is happy because he is the meanest SOB on the face of the earth. This guy is big-time bad, bad news. Um, And so... Anyway, bottom line is, the, the, the real-life leader of the Sons of Anarchy got saved in our church. I started, I, I kind of became his father confessor, if you will, um, to the true father of, of the fictional Jack Teller. Uh, now, what's, what's interesting about this? Uh, several things. There was a newspaper. Um, I don't remember if it was the Del Norte triplicate or which one of the newspapers in that area. People listening to this program tonight that know Northern California, they'll figure it out. Um, They do a whole article called Little Okinawa, in which they're talking about his seven-acre compound right outside of Crescent City. Um, And when that newspaper article came out, and he just got saved, by the way. I asked him about it. He said... Well, Pastor, would you like to see my compound? So he takes me outside of Crescent City to this seven acre compound. And it is litter. It, it looks like an old West Fort to me. I mean, it's got these giant wooden fences that go all the way around it, gun cutouts in the fences on north, south, east, and west, these giant towers where there were people that would stand inside these towers, you know, with, with guns that would protect the, the fortress. But he takes me inside, and I go inside there, and on the wall, I'm not making this up, I mean, here are live hand grenades hanging on the walls everywhere, automatic weapons, I mean, all kinds of illegal stuff, and I look at him, I almost said his name, by the way, and I say to him, X, Y, Z, I say, you can't have this stuff, this is totally illegal, you can't have this, he... (laughs) <laughs> and he looks at me like he doesn't even know what I'm talking about, right? What do you mean it's illegal? I can't have it. But those were th- those were some of the things that were happening at that time. But he was literally the figure on which the sons of anarchy uh, was made. Well, anyway, he gives his life to the Lord. He comes down. We talk to him. He accepts the Lord as his Savior. He gets saved now his fame starts spreading everywhere he's now he's on the 700 club i introduced him to pat robertson at that time by the way i still have pictures of me and him and pat robertson uh he goes on to the 700 club he starts speaking remember the full gospel businessmen fellowship i guess they're still around but back then they were really a big deal right Uh, he's he starts speaking at all their conferences. He's speaking there. He's here in the U.S. He's speaking in Canada. And then pretty soon, and this goes back to the TV series, his fame leads um, to a, a book deal um, being offered to him. I, and, and as I recall, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, the book deal was with Tyndale House. It could have been Zondervan but I'm pretty sure it was Stendale. And they offered to um, have a New York Times best-selling author write the story about his life. And and I'll explain in a moment why I'm telling you all this. This is all on the real Sons of Anarchy. Um, But it was never published for reasons I'll explain uh, in a moment. But the manuscript was called A Man Called Mother. And by the way, if anybody out there ever comes across the complete manuscript, "A Man Called Mother," get a hold of me. I would love to publish it. But that's the book. It's written by a a New York Times best-selling author. But what happened was this: just before the leader of the Sons of Anarchy, which was actually known by a different name, um, he leaves. Crescent City, he's going to go speak at a convention somewhere, and just before that happened, uh, he comes to me, and we go to a restaurant where he and I would go all the time, and we'd eat lunch, whatever, when he was in town, and I would talk to him. I was his father confessor. He would tell me his different things, um, and some of that I'll, I'll, I'm never going to repeat, and thankfully, at this point, I can't remember the details anyway because of my brain damage, but... Um, he, he at that time he's telling me different stuff that was going on when he was the head of it and he's worried about not just him going to prison now he was concerned partly about that but he was also willing to go to prison the problem for him was if he confessed everything that had happened when he was the head of that outlaw motorcycle gang there were guys who had moved on past the gang and now they had families and they were living their lives, <laughs> and they would go to prison too, and it would disrupt their lives. He was very concerned about a bunch of that kind of stuff. So what happened was this: he, we went to it was actually a Denny's in Crescent City, and he gives me this manuscript. The manuscript's been written by this best-selling New York Times author for for um, um, anyway major publisher.
2: Hey Tom. If we could, uh, we'll jump right back to that. Uh, your wife is, b- is back on the line. I'm not sure if she's still here. Uh, I'm here. Just Hi, Nita. Go ahead.
5: Hey. I'm so sorry, and I'm very blubbery, because I just received a phone call through my Whispering Pony's Facebook that if we were able to raise $20,000 through sponsor a pony, we have someone that is willing to match that. I'm sorry. I'm all just like... I couldn't. I couldn't believe the phone call. Anyway, it's an anonymous person, but I just they they wanted me to share this online, and so that's awesome. what I'm saying.
2: So, uh, if you guys raise twenty thousand dollars, that will if be someone, matched if, if by this. If we are phone? able
5: to raise twenty thousand dollars through the Sponsor a Pony project, they will match every one of those up to twenty thousand.
2: And that combines all, al- just
5: blew me almost half. Sorry, I did not expect that. And I'm just sitting here blubbering. <laughs> so I need to share that. Praise God.
6: Praise God. I mean, the, the, what a worthy... Folks, we're, we're going to be behind this. We're behind this 100%. But, we ask you well, I appreciate this
5: everything. Um, this is new to me. It's, it's a first for me. Tom and I have always just took our own resources, and we've never asked for help. And to know that there are people out there that believe in what we're doing, um, it's just amazing. And we just thank everybody and thank Steve for prompting us to do this. So I'm out of words. I turn it back Nina, over to thank you Thank you. Sorry.
2: Thank you so much. Um, again, folks, $20,000 uh, will be matched to those who uh, go and, and sponsor a pony, uh, $20,000 worth $1,000 a pony. Uh, go back to the beginning of the show and the broadcast and listen mm-hmm. to the details for that. And that's just so
6: very generous. We thank our listeners so much thank for their, their kindness. And, and, and think of how many will be helped by this, and th- that's what this is all about, Christianity. Th- that's, this is active Christianity. This is, it, it's not a spectator sport. Thank you, Nita. Sorry to interrupt you, Tom. I know um, we, uh, well, we left uh, uh,
2: off uh, with uh, the diner and the, and the manuscript. Go ahead.
3: No, but I'm so happy she did that. I don't know who this person was. It's obviously an anonymous, uh, an anomalous uh, donor, um, anonymous donor, and um, Anita's and right. I mean, it, it, Steve knows this, by the way, about me and Anita. We don't actually know how to ask for donations because we've lived our whole life just doing it by ourselves. I mean, we we create companies, we sell product, we raise revenue, and we don't know how to ask. We just we just have always done it by ourselves. But we're at a point now where we've spent, and I don't I won't tell you the amount. Well, just know that we could have retired and we could have lived okay for the rest of our lives. And we've taken all of that money and we've put it into this ministry, uh, and Again, why? Because these are kids that the world has forgot about. I mean, um, and and big ministries. And I was there at one point. I mean, the the church that I pastored when I pastored the uh, 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 Life Center in Portland, Oregon. You know, the biggest. Uh, I don't want to say their name so I'm hesitating here, but the biggest television ministries in the world held their West Coast productions in my church. Everybody who was anybody in the biggest television ministries in the world were on my platform, and I was the pastor, um, every day, every week. Um, that's who we were. That's what we did. Um, and I can tell you that I don't know one of them that would have cared whatsoever. And I'm not being mean here. I'm not. I'm really not. But I don't know one of them that would have gave a plug nickel to help these kids who are going to die without Christ if they don't get help. These kids that have been sexually and emotionally and verbally abused and discarded. They're not going to care. And by the way, it's not just kids. The Whispering Ponies Ranch is also about adults that have been abused and discarded. I'm I'm talking right now to, I'm not going to give you her last name, but a woman named Karen, and I think she's listening to the program tonight. She's a very famous uh, jockey. Now, I really hope to be able to publish her book, but I'm not going to say anything more about it than that. Um, Who knows where we're coming from here uh, about kids. That have been abused and they're discarded and they're rejected. And nobody in the in institutionalized uh, church is going to give one whit about that until the day that Jesus says, I never knew you. And then he turns to another group and says, I did know you. And they're going to say, What? Wait, Lord. When? When? And he's going to say, I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty. And you gave me drink. I was sick and in prison. And you visited me. And they're going to say, When did all these things happen? And he's going to say, In as much as you did, it's under the least of these my little ones. So uh this person that called in tonight and is gonna match twenty thousand dollars, look. If you've ever if you've got revenue, you're gonna die and you're gonna just leave it to who knows what. If you've got revenue, if you want to be part of something that's meaningful, we're going to not only do it, we're going to have um, a conference and a retreat. You're going to be, your your registration is going to be paid to the conference, and we're going to give you an annual report. You'll be part of the founders club, and we will show you every dime how it's spent. I don't need it. I don't want it. But I want to take your money away from you and give it to those who do need it. And that's what I want to do. I've done it to myself. Now I want to do it to you. (laughs) Um, So anyway, thank you, Nita, for calling in. And and thank God for whoever it was that contacted Nita, uh, somebody that's got a vision around what we're trying to do. And, by the way, if somebody, you know, they're listening to this program tonight because we're kind of all over the world here tonight and we're talking about a lot of different things. If you don't understand the vision behind Whispering Pony's Ranch and you want to, uh, contact us through our website, uh, skywatchtv.com. There's a contact uh, link there. And just tell me. I'm serious and I want to talk to you about what you're doing, but I need answers to questions. I'm, I'll, I'm happy. I'll talk to you. I'll make sure that you get answers to your questions. Um, So that you have a level of faith in what we're doing here. Uh, So, anyway, um, Tiger Whitehurst, the Sons of Anarchy. Where where did we leave off, Steve?
4: Well, you just you you weren't going to give his name and and uh, you know the Sons of Anarchy. Here's the thing, Tom. Focus on on the you know the amazing transformation. And by the way, in the old days, a full gospel businessman. I, I got to tell you something. My first prayer, I think the very first book I ever read, maybe within a month of being saved, and I don't mean to mislead, but it was that sooner or earlier, was the happiest people on earth. And I had prayed this would have been in 1972 to have a chance to meet Dimas Shakarian. Fast forward uh, into the last uh, years of his life, and uh, an appointment was made. We were talking to him about a movie we were going to make on the life of Jesus based on Calvin Miller's trilogy, The Singer, the Song, and the Finale. And I got to meet Demas and and I won't share it because again I I, I learned my lesson about uh, you know uh, dressing swine and pearls but the point is is that he prophesied over me and it was interesting that God had placed in my heart so many years before. That that's the one man I wanted to meet, and that man blessed me in ways that you know I just can't share. And and I'm not trying to be secret. I'm not trying to be spiritual. But saying all that, there was a time when the full gospel businessman was full gospel, and the testimony of men and of women—they had the full gospel business women too—was astounding because God was manifesting Himself in a way that there was no doubt it was real. and as you know, the phoniness came in, and instead of Jesus being... And I want to make this clear. I put up a story this week on, on on the war on Jesus. Call it what you want. It is not a war against beliefs. It's not even a war against Christianity. It's the devil's rage against Jesus Christ. And so when I, when I asked you to come on tonight, and Doug gave the approval to, you know, share the miraculous testimony, when you have God moving in the most... Uh, 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 what would you say, infamous biker's life on the West Coast, probably only exceeded by Sonny Barger of Hell's Angels. The point being is, is that god he, the only guy that scared him was a guy praying, and that was God answering that man's prayer. I think that's what you pretty much said on the radio, but you shared with me, that that scared him, and that's what God moved on, because everybody would have written him off, except one guy who was stand up and praying. Didn't you say that the gentleman, the biker, would you go by, and when he go by, the guy go out and pray, and he'd just yeah. stand there and pray,
3: yeah, it was crazy that it, and he told me this, and by the way, I've told you uh Steve, I've told you his name, what he was known by, what he was called. I can give you his last name, um, Joe artist, who I have a lot of respect for, had a gut feeling that I should not be using his real name on the radio, and that might be out of respect for the family. Or something like that right. so, i would
1: I would go along
4: with Joe on that one, it, it, that's okay. so one.
3: I'm not doing that, but the bottom line yep. was um yeah i mean uh, uh, uh he he when when the um I want to say the del Norte Triplicate, but I don't think it was that was that was the that was the uh, Crescent City newspaper, but I think it was a neighboring town, and they ran an article called little Okinawa. And they were talking about his, you know, seven-acre fortress. Well, anyway, he took me out there. I see all this stuff—hand grenades hanging on the walls. I'm trying to tell him you can't, you can't own this stuff. And it's, it's almost like he's a child, right? He just don't get the fact that having all this illegal stuff was was wrong. Well, in any case, but he came to see me, and and this is. This also ties into the TV series. He came to see me. And the manuscript had been written, and it was called A Man Called a Mother. And if somebody can find that, I will publish it. But it was written, and he he comes to see me. We go to the restaurant in Crescent City. He gives me the manuscript. He says, I want you to read the manuscript. Tell me what you think. I'm going to do this real quick now because I know we're going to run out of time. He goes out of town. I've got the manuscript back in my office. I'm the pastor of of the Cornerstone Assembly. I've got it in my office. I'm reading it. I'm about two-thirds of the way through it. He comes back into town. And now, and this is important, he says to me, he says, Pastor, he says, i got a chance to speak at the major full gospel businessmen fellowship conference in Canada. And he said, I'm going to go there, and I need to take the manuscript with me. Are you done with it? I said, well, I haven't read the whole thing. I've read two-thirds of it. I give it to him. Um, and he takes the manuscript with him, and he goes to Canada. He's up there. And, in, and by the way, there were several people in my church at that time, Cornerstone Assembly of God. People can verify this. And they went with him. And they go to Canada. And while he's in Canada, now, oh, wait, before just before he goes, we go to the, the, the Denny's there in, in uh, Crescent City. And he's telling me, Pastor, he said I'm I'm having so much heartburn. He said I'm I'm eating all these like over the counter uh, heartburn medicine. Came over to my home. Nita would tell you this. He's in our in our house now, and he's just eating Tom one after the other. And he's saying, Man, I'm just having so much heartburn. And I said to him, You you better go see a doctor. I mean, you know, this this could be something more than just heartburn. Okay, I'm going to go see a doctor when I get back in Canada. So he goes to Canada. He's up there preaching. He has a massive heart attack and literally dies while he's preaching at the Full Gospel Businessmen Fellowship. Now, I've still got pictures of me and him and uh, Pat Robertson, the 700 Club, Full Gospel Businessmen. And that was the end. So what happened? His family, they're real rough. Uh, they go up to Canada. They got it. Took a pickup truck up there. Actually, picked up his body, and they bring him back across the border. Nobody even knows he's in the back of a pickup under a blanket. He's not even refrigerated. They bring his body back, come back to uh, Creston City, and but I had read the manuscript, and in the manuscript about a man called Mother, and this is where this plays into Sam Crow and the Sons of Anarchy. In the manuscript, he's talking about how he started the club, and he wants to end the club. He wants to bring it to an end. He no longer believes in it. This is part of what even led to him becoming a Christian. Um, and if he ever dies, this is in the manuscript, and it was also in his instructions to me. If he ever dies, he's killed, murdered, whatever. Um, he wants to be buried in his colors. He was the mother president. By the way, the title, A Man Called Mother?, The idea behind that is, in The Devil's Disciples, uh, the president is called the mother president. So everything's kind of backwards. Um, And so a man called mother. But he told me he wanted to be buried in the colors because he wanted to end the group out of Northern California on which the TV series was based. Well, if you look at the television series, the very first season, you find Jack, right, the son. He's found this manuscript. He went he's looking for... I forget what it even was. He goes into a, like, uh, some kind of a warehouse. He's looking for something. I forget what the first series is. But he's in there, he's looking. And he finds this manuscript. And he starts reading. And he finds out that his dad really actually wants to end the group. uh, And that's all based on truth. Because the real leader, whose name I could tell you right now, he really wanted to end the group and he told me I want to be buried in my colors because if the colors are not passed forward the colors are the best that he wears as the leader of the bike gang and if those can't be passed forward then you can't have the next leader to the devil's disciples uh, international and so he dies in Canada they bring him back he's got his colors I've got instructions he wants to be buried in his colors because he wants to bring it in that's where the manuscript comes from the man called mother the whole Sam Crow uh, TV series that's where that all came from so I got a hold of uh, Sheriff Hopper and if anybody that wants to google this or even call Crescent City can track down Sheriff Hopper he was the leader at that time of the county and I said look he. Wa- I almost said his name he wants to be buried in the colors so that nobody can pass this forward. He wants to fulfill his prediction in the manuscript that's now not going to be published. It can just be hidden. Um, But uh, now, my uh, my church, our offices, we're getting phone calls from people that are part of the, the, the motorcycle gang. And they're saying... He had better give us the colors. You—that's what they're saying. Better give us the colors that's on his body, because if you don't, we're going to come during the funeral and we're going to grab his body and we're going to throw it on the floor and take the colors off of it, because the gang can't, the, the bike gang can't move forward with another president without those colors. So I got a hold of Sheriff Hopper. I said, "Do you think this is real?" And here's what Sheriff Hopper tells me: He says, "Look, I will, I will give you a couple of, of illustrations. This gang." He said, they dynamited our police cars off the road. They came down when we arrested XYZ, the father of of Jack in the film. When we arrested him and locked him up in Crescent City, they came down with automatic weapons. And he said, I was called and told to come back to the the police department. And he said, I came back to the police department and here's bikers. And they've got every police officer against the wall automatic weapons they're going to kill everybody if we don't release XYZ the father of Jack Um, and he said so but he said we brought him out he diffused the whole thing that that went away Um, here's what I can tell you before he died the real person behind the television series came and him and I spent time one day and he told me some of the stuff that he had done and told me that he had to give himself up to law enforcement. He was already ready to go to 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 go to prison forever. He had got saved, he was on the 700 Club and all this other stuff, but there was stuff that he had not confessed. And he said, I don't know what to do because, he said, I myself, I don't care if I go to prison for the rest of my life, but he said, there's other guys that were in the game and they've they've they they've got past this. They have families. They've moved on and he said, If I confess these things, these guys are all gonna go to prison and he wasn't sure what to do. And that's when he went to Canada. He died, I had the manuscript, the family comes back, they get the manuscript from me, which then becomes a part of the whole Sons of Anarchy series, the manuscript found in a in a building, whatever. But the truth was he really did want to close down the bike club. All of that stuff in the first series of the Sons of Anarchy is really based on the, the true story about a man who actually gave his life to the Lord, came down to the altar, at cornerstone assembly of God, gave his life to the Lord, was a friend of mine, and I was his father confessor. And the last trip that he took, when he came to me and he said, when I get back from this trip to Canada, he said, I want to go with you, and we're going to make a confession. The law enforcement about a whole bunch of unsolved uh, crimes, uh, and he said, but I'm, I, I, it scares me to death because there's guys that have moved on, they have lives now. I think that's why God allowed him to have a massive heart attack in Canada and die, because God had forgiven him, and these other people had moved on, and I I just have to look at it and think that's the reason why God allowed that to happen the way that it did. But in the television series, um, when you watch this series, just know that behind the series is a true story. And someday, maybe, I'm going to write the book called Sons of Anarchy, Sons of God, the true story about the, the man and the people behind that series. And were they bad? Oh, man, yeah even worse sometimes than what you see in the online television series. But the but the glory of it is the leader, the guy behind Jack Teller, the father, that wrote the manuscript, he was a real man. I knew him. I've still got pictures of me and him and Pat Robertson. Uh, he was a real man, a true convert to Christianity. He died with a massive heart attack while he was in Canada. Uh, but That's the better part of that story. It wasn't just a bunch of renegade outlaw bikers. There was a a family there, uh, because it wasn't just him. It was his son and some others that got saved and became Christians. And there's a whole different story here that someday maybe ought to be told.
4: Well, again, hey, Doug and, and Joe, this is what I want people to understand, is that you cannot help when when you're out in the world sharing Jesus when you're uplifting God's Son, the Redeemer, the King of glory, for miracles to happen. And that's exactly what needs to happen now. And I see it, Tom. I see the glory of the Lord is once again going to be upon His people. And it's going to be, the sheep are going to be separated from the goats. And one of the things I want people to understand in Blood on the Altar, and this is probably a a revelation that is so important, when I said, Lord, why is there so much backbiting? hating everything going on, the haters, the, the supposed people that walk with Jesus. They can't wait to destroy anybody's testimony. Was mine, yours, anybody, you get them too. But the point is, the Lord said, I hate it so much, Steve. It's an abomination sowing discord amongst the brethren because that's exactly what Lucifer did to the fallen angels who were not fallen at the time. He promised them something, but he attacked me continually until the attack's became so numerous that they believed the lie rather than remember who i was and i think that's a good word for everybody you're fighting the wrong people if we're talking about jesus if we're lifting up jesus if people are being saved if they're repenting of their sins if they have a gun in their mouth at one minute is ready to blow their brains out and they don't if they're tricking as in prostitutes out listening to this program while the john's on top of them and they say god help me or the persons that that Jim Baker and Lori Baker are helping with with uh, Lori's house and, and women that would have you know, destroyed the lives and now their lives are saved and their child's lives are saved. That's redemption. So listen, the tree is known by the fruit it bears. Bitterness, envy, strife. That is not the fruit of the Holy Ghost. But unfortunately, Tom, Blood on the Altar, he, 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 I think it was probably the most amazing title for you to use that because we're talking about the miracles, we're talking about one of the lead bikers on the West Coast getting saved, uh, uh, and the stories behind the story are what you know. And, And let me share this, ladies and gentlemen. When Tom and I were on the radio one night after his home had burned down, he was telling this story after the... I think it was Tom either after the show or uh, the following day when we were talking about all of the popping noises. I mean, you know, Tom has paid a price. And so for those of you that want to stand with him, uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm a $1,000 on uh, Cowboy to Horse. So, you know, there's 1000 of the, the 20000 matching. But, you know, I am awed at the goodness of God and I know this, you can yell, you can scream, you can mock you can scorn, you can ridicule you can backbite, you can hate you can denigrate, but at the end of the day, you're going to hear depart from me ye who work lawlessness I never knew you versus the person that throws himself on the mercy of God and said, Lord, I'm a sinner, I can't clean myself up, I can't change my own life and so Tom, I want to thank you for all the years of your labor and I want to thank you and and ladies and gentlemen I know his heart I know Nita's heart and when you meet someone's heart and know that the outflow of the Holy Ghost that the handprint again the heartbeat of the Lord has been in someone's lives I can tell you this it, 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 it's not necessarily betting on I don't I'm not saying anybody go out and gamble or bet on a racehorse but I can tell you the place that I want to put my money and Put my, uh, your money's your life. It represents a certain amount of your life. Behind is that which God's got his hands on. And when you do that, you'll be surprised how things take a different change in your life. You know, Tom, I mean, we're, we're facing a lot of stuff. Things you've talked about, things I've talked about, and you know, you and I are both in the same category on this one. If we tell people earthly things they believe us not, how can we tell them heavenly things? We're quoting Jesus. I'm quoting Jesus. And I get a kick out of the the emails I get every so often or the conversations that... Sneak through to me. Tell me what you really know. And I said, What have you done with what I've already told you? Well, nothing. <laughs> then obviously, then obviously, uh it's it's done you no good. How many people have you won to the Lord? None. You know, none of works so any man should boast. Ah, but there's where you're wrong. James says, Show me your works. I'll see your faith. Don't tell me that you have faith and no works, because the Bible says in the book of James, what faith without works is dead. You know. And so uh, I just want to tell you that uh, you know I am blessed at the time, and I, I've i said this on the air outside of Pastor Langford and you, and you know obviously going on Jim Baker's show when he asks or whatever, you know I really, Doug, you know I've said this to you, and uh, I really don't like doing talk radio at all. I'm still doing it because of the Lord and somebody says that's a hypocrite. No, it's a realist when you've been in the trenches, and I'm not feeling sorry for myself. But it's refreshing to be able to get behind someone else's vision. In this case, Tom Nita's heart. It's it's refreshing to do. And 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 Tom, I understand that asking for money, you know, I, I hate it. I hate doing it, and I do it for others. But it's really tough for yourself. But I can share this, ladies and gentlemen. I actually, I actually go to the horses with Nita and Tom. We go to the stable. We go to the arena, and it's it's a amazing how do i say this it's an amazing uh mental set when you see uh and hear the vision that those little horses represent and what's interesting is how people relate to them so tom again i want to thank you now i think we're down to the last five minutes anything you give out how people can you know uh go on skywatch news and and donate in real time
3: Yeah, uh, Steve, again, thank you so much. I mean, the truth is we know that there are going to be some people that just do not get what we're talking about, how therapy animals can be used to help particular people. But this isn't just Royal Family Kids Camp. This is veterans of war. Um, We already are using these animals, by the way, uh, in... Situations in which they're ministering to veterans of war. Who, and these veterans, um, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to say anything super negative, but they they need to get a therapy dog or a therapy horse. They need a the therapy animal. They come back. They've lost appendages. They've lost arms and legs. Um, and and our veterans affairs are saying to them. Well, yay, good for you. That's going to cost $10,000 you have the money because the VA sure ain't going to give it to you. And they really are just left by themselves, and it's a really kind of almost devastating thing. So part of what we're doing is we've only talked tonight about the therapy horses, but we also are providing the therapy dogs that some of these people need. They're almost like seeing eye dogs, but they're companion animals. So there's there's a huge thing that we're doing here that we believe in. We think it's really important. Why? Because we don't think anybody else is going to pay any attention to it. And therefore, these people are forgotten. They're lost. Um, And and again, (coughs) when I say big-haired evangelists, I just mean there are ministries out there, that this is not going to, it's not going to put them on the front page of the New York Times, it's not going to make them famous, and therefore they are not going to pay one bit of attention to this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, really, honestly. But I'm old enough now, and I'm retired enough now, that I don't really care about being politically correct anymore. I've Amen. done this, I've been this, I've been there, I've known everybody. Why do you think that these really well-known ministries know me and want me on their programs because I've been around a long time, and and now so I'm not I'm not saying that to to make myself anything. I'm a, I'm just saying that I've been around long enough that I don't care what these other people think or do. What we are doing right now in the Whispering Ponies Ranch is something I believe in. If nobody joins us, I'm going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway, somehow, one way or the other. But here's here's the difference. If I don't have people to help me, then it's going to take me longer. It'll take more years. It'll take more time to accommodate the Royal Family Kids camps and other types of industries. Um, and if, if I'm not good at communicating the need, and I'm not, I'm really not, Steve. I'm terrible. I've told you before, I'm just like the worst guy in the world at like raising funds. <laughs> I'm not. I'm horrible at it, right? <clears throat> By the way, <clears throat> I might have just enough time to say this. The reason I'm horrible at it is because I was a big, stupid deal pastor in the Assemblies of God for a long time, pastored mega churches. I was the TBN guy. I was all that. And I knew... Um, you know the people that raised money, uh, that that, and it turned me off. So much of what was happening with people raising money, it just really turned me off. I just thought they were fake, they were phony, um, and um, and therefore, when I went out of the organization, I had a distaste for people that raised money for ministry purposes. Now the downside to that is now I it's really hard for me to raise money because I don't wanna come across as one of these guys that's bank or a phony as raising money for whatever. I just don't. So I'm just gonna say it. I mean if you if you give to what we're doing, we're gonna make you part of the uh uh um, founders club and we're gonna to report to you annually what we do. You'll you will be invited free to be part of our conference. You're going to come to the Whispering Ponies Ranch retreat facilities in which we're going to give you a report about how every penny of every dollar was spent. I don't need your money. I don't want your money. And yet, I definitely want you to help me do this for these kids. They got nobody. They got nobody. They are totally forgotten. And if you don't help them, nobody's going to. And that's how I say
6: Tom. Tom and and Steve, God bless you both. We're at the end of the show.
1: We gotta, we, we gotta go.